Welcome to another edition of Campus Life. Uh, we are currently doing our conference preview series, our final prep here for everybody in Devi, CFF, or obviously Campus to Canton Leagues. Over uh, these next five weeks, we're going to be filling you in on all the news in the college world. Uh, we'll break down some conference previews, and we'll have a guest on each week uh, to do the cram session. But this week, Austin is on vacation, uh, motoring around the Mediterranean and his mega yacht. Uh, so tonight I'm joined by one of the newest members of our team at Campus to Canton. Um, he joined us during the lead up to the draft, uh, came out hot with four articles in the first week, breaking down some guys to pay attention to during the draft. Uh, Barnabas, uh, thanks for joining our team and thanks for joining me here tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, not a problem, man. I'm excited to get you on. You've been on the staff for a little while yet. Unfortunately, we uh, we don't always move the fastest here, so we didn't get your announcement out until you know a little bit later. But um, yeah, you, you've been on the staff for a while here. Um, you know, so introduce yourself. Tell the people a little bit about uh, about you before we get into the Big Ten tonight. Sure, uh, I'm Barnabas. Uh, my background is in the political economy of conflict, which is very far <laughs> removed from uh, football. Um, and uh, I came through to Campus to Canton through my softball league, uh, re referred over by Denny Carter. Um, <laughs> Shouts out to him. Um, I am a proud graduate of the University of Maryland, uh, where I marched in the marching band for four years as well. And uh, I went to grad school at Florida State. Um, but it was a tough time for the Knowles during that period. So maybe less of a fan of the Knowles. But uh, yeah, I'm uh my first love of football came when um i grew up in africa and uh oh. there was a there was a small marine base there and uh they hosted a super bowl watch party after someone mailed them a vhs of the super bowl it was carolina versus new england um and i remember walking in and that was that was just like love at first sight just watching you know the shiny helmets and stuff but i was a kid then but um <clears throat> Yeah, I my rooting interests are with the Cowboys, um, I know, um, and <laughs> and Maryland, which I'll be happy to talk about today. Um, I'll try to get the homerism out of the way a little early in the, earlier in the show. Hey, and, no worries. Uh, <laughs> I'm a Penn State fan. There's gonna be tons yeah. of homerism tonight. Right, absolutely. Um, and and we're supposed to be rivals, I guess, uh, according to the Big Ten. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, in other interests, I root for G two esports in the Apex competitive scene. Um, okay. A little my nerdy side. Um, and uh, and uh, Korea first for me always. Um, okay. <laughs> I, I learned the Korean national anthem before I learned the Star Spangled Banner. You know, I was <laughs> I was raised in a very immigrant home, so. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, I, you know, I appreciate you breaking that down here and, you know, I'll try to hold, not hold the, the Cowboys and the Maryland thing against you. Although um, I live in PA, but I'm not an Eagles fan. So, you know, I'm a Falcons fan, so we're not rivals or anything. Oh, I okay. Just, yeah. I still, you know, product of people in the area. I'm not a huge Cowboys fan. Oh, that that's probably <laughs> fair. I mean, neither was Micah growing up. So what can you say? Right. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, before we get into it here, uh, this podcast is part of the Fantasy Points Media Group, along with a ton of other great pods. You can follow all of them on Twitter at Fantasy Points Live or check out the Friday drops to recap the week in the Fantasy Points Media Group. Uh, so not a ton of news here this week. Uh, so we're going to dive right into the cram session. You know, for anybody who's been listening to the series, um, we asked the guests three questions. 
one player you think will help the stock the most, one th- player you think will hurt the stock the most, and then give us a bold prediction. Um, Barnabas, we'll start here. Give us uh, one player you believe will help their stock the most this season. Yeah, so the player I chose was is kind of counterintuitive, I guess, because he's almost already at the top. Um, I chose Will Anderson, the edge from Alabama, and, you know, being a draft person, I, I have to think, you know, Will Anderson is already considered maybe the best prospect in this draft, um, maybe third if you consider the quarterbacks higher. Um, and so this is kind of a bold prediction, I guess, but I think Will Anderson's going to play himself into a top two pick. Um, I don't know that I can necessarily say he's going to be the top pick. Uh, but I think he's going to convince one of, you know, either the Texans or the Lions or someone up there, I think he's going to convince is worth more than a quarterback at this time. So um, I think that he is going to have a ridiculous season in, you know, the SEC. And uh, he already has all the physical tools and people just wanted to see a little bit more maturity and a little bit uh, better patience when, when playing against the run for him. And so I think he's going to show that this year, you know, Alabama obviously uh, develops their defensive players really well. And every year they have multiple first rounders coming out. Um, but like recently they've actually faded more on the defensive side and had more offensive players go in the first round. So I think they get back to their roots uh, with some, with a top two pick and Will Anderson. Nice. I love it. Uh, yeah. Any, any Heisman hope here? Is, is this the year we get a defensive guy? I can't imagine it is. <laughs> it's just, I mean, especially with the quarterbacks, no one wants to see Bryce Young win again. Uh, but, you know, CJ Stroud is still there and there are some good running backs that are going to have a fair amount of production. It's just, it's just so tough to stand out when there are defensive players that are, you know, all making huge impacts. And until we get a single measure of like war or something um, like baseball does until we have that measure. I think it's really too difficult to get a defensive player on there. Um, and also, you know, uh, defense wins championships, but offense fills seats. Right. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, all right. Well, on the other side of that coin, we got one player you think will hurt their stock the most this season. Yeah. So I approach this kind of with this mentality of who is rated super highly by other people that I don't think is, really deserves that merits that conversation um and so will be exposed in the next season i guess and so i went with tanner mckee the quarterback from stanford um i've been reading like dane brugler from the athletic has him as the fourth best quarterback in this uh, upcoming draft class uh pff has him at number three or something um and dane brugler even in his mock draft had tanner mckee coming off the board at as the fifth quarterback of the board in the first round And frankly, I don't see it. You know, I think this is similar to like, you know, obviously the same school, but Davis Mills was getting some first round hype before the season started. Um, He's Tanner McKee is technically an underclassman, but he's already 23 years old because he went on mission for two years, Uh, which, you know, nothing against that, but he is old. And for a quarterback that while he's tall enough is really doesn't have the mobility at all to even escape the pocket when he needs to. Um, and for a quarterback that has many decision-making, uh, question marks, including a lot of turnovers, um, his only, his only saving grace is that he is pretty accurate and has sufficient arm strength, which aren't necessarily pluses. They're just enough to be an NFL prospect. And so I think that within the next year, we're going to come to find that one Stanford, I think is going to have a similarly lackluster year this year as they did last year. 
And also that Tanner McKee isn't going to show much development from last year. And I think he's just going to be the quarterback that he is, which is just a six foot six, you know, statue in the pocket. That's going to hit some, in, some good throws. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think he is a first rounder. I'd be surprised if he even goes in the top three rounds, to be honest. Couldn't agree more with that. I mean, he, he came out of the gate hot last year through the first couple games and then just really tailed off at the end of the year. I think he had like four touchdowns to seven interceptions. Like the ratio swung the opposite direction there, really struggled down the stretch. And, and like you said, it, there's no mobility there, you know, and, and teams are yeah. kind of looking for that nowadays where you don't have to be Lamar Jackson necessarily, but you have to be able to move in the pocket, you know, with the way that the offenses are going nowadays, they're kind of getting things on the move. And, and I don't see that from him either. So yeah, I completely agree with you. Um, last one here, give us your, a bold prediction here. Um, and I'm seeing it on the show sheet. This isn't, I, I like this one. I like it. Yeah. So I, I, like I said, I'm getting the homerism out of the way early here. Um, but my bold prediction is if Ohio state loses a game, which is, you know, questionable, uh, like they are largely considered one of the top you know teams this year, but if Ohio state loses a game, I believe it is going to be to Maryland. Um, and there are a couple of reasons why, uh, and we'll obviously get into this a little bit, but Ohio State's offense is, you know, unquestionably one of the top, if not the top offense in the country. And it's, it's really ridiculous, you know, the work that Brian Hartline and Ryan Day have done there, just like, just on sheer recruiting, let alone developing those recruits. But the thing is, the weakness of that Ohio State team this year is their defense. Um, and so... When it comes down to it, they are just they don't care that much that their defense is weaker this year because they're just going to outscore anyone everyone anyway. And so it's the question isn't, you know, how are we going to stop the other team? It's how many points do we need to score this game is is the question that Ohio State needs to answer now. Um, if there's one team in the Big Ten that can keep up with that offense, I think it's Maryland, where we have a certain uh, level of receiving core that is good enough to match up with that defense. Um where it's kind of the, you know, the kitchen drawer type type receiver core where we, you got, you know, the big guy, the fast guy and the route running guy, right? Like you want these like different, uh, you know, uh, gadget or not gadget, but you want receivers to hit different roles in your receiving core. Maryland does that well. And Talia, you know, I guess we'll talk about him later as well, but he's, he's a sufficient quarterback to run this offense where Maryland can get into a shootout um, with Ohio state. And we, you know, if Tyrell Pigram can do it in 20, what was that, 2019, 2018, um, and be a two-point conversion away from doing it, Talia is a much better quarterback, and this receiving core is much better than that game, that season as well. So um, I think if they lose a game, it's going to be to Maryland. I like that. It's a bold call. Uh, definitely, definitely a bold call there. But, you know, like you said, they have the receiving core to, to match up against Ohio State's secondary. You know, everybody – thinks of, you know, those secondaries of the, you know, late aughts there where you had, you know, even Jeff Akuda was, I think, like, what, 2020 draft class. But, you know, the other guys there like Lattimore and Malik Hooker and all those other guys, but they haven't had those types of prospects in a while. The, the secondary is definitely lacking there. So if you can, you know, go blow for blow with them, and, and honestly, I agree with you. Maryland is one of the few offenses in the Big Ten that can play with the pace and can throw the ball around the yard to maybe keep up with Ohio State. So we'll uh, we'll get into the Big Ten here. We'll we'll go team by team. 
Um, break down a little bit about each position here. Um, we'll start off with Illinois. We're just going alphabetically here. They get a uh, quarterback transfer from Syracuse, Tommy DeVito, to help bolster that room. Uh, last year, they ran out two guys primarily, Brandon Peters, Arter Sitkowski. Uh, neither one of them looked particularly impressive last year. Um, what do we think about Sitkowski versus DeVito, which is what we're kind of hearing the battle is here. And can the quarterback of this team not hold them back? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people assume that Tommy DeVito is going to be the starter the first day he walks in and week one. And he may be, but I question whether we're writing Art Sitkowski off too easily. Um, in that, you know, Brandon Peters, as good as he was, was a little bit, and, you know, obviously he ended up on an NFL roster, at least for camp. So um, he was, you know, not great, but he he had some tools. I think Art Sitkowski is a good enough passer, especially in this offense, to run this offense. And frankly, Tommy DeVito wasn't super inspiring either um, in his previous stops. So, um, you know, I question whether we're writing Sitkowski off too early, but I also question how much the quarterback is really holding back the system anyway. It's Brett Bielma, right? He's, you know, uh, been in the Big Ten forever, and his calling card has been, you know, we're going to run seven running backs out there with you against an offensive line that's going to all get drafted somewhere or end up on a team. And uh, we're going to play to not lose instead of to win, you know? And so I think, I think that whoever ends up winning that job will be enough for what Illinois is going to be this year, which is average at best. <laughs> yeah, I I don't see this being a bowl caliber team. So I, I agree with you there. I think it's average at best is definitely kind. Um, you know, and I don't know how much Dan, um, Tommy DeVito is going to be able to not hold the team back. Like you said, you know, he wasn't particularly impressive in his last stop. This is going to be a run first team anyway. Uh, they were ranked 123rd last year, neutral game script pass rate. Now they do bring in a new offensive coordinator, but I don't imagine that changes all that much. So being a run first team here, where they got Chase Brown, uh, who seems to be the lead dog, and then Josh McCray, uh, who was impressive in some limited work last year. They were kind of like a 60-40 split there. Do we think one of these is going to take the reins, or are we seeing kind of more of a committee here? Well, I know uh, the Campus DeCanton group um, really likes uh, Chase Brown, um, but I I think that it's going to be some sort of combination of the two. I don't think Chase Brown, um, even if he does perform substantially better than McRae, I don't think Brett Bielma is the type to you know, focus on one running back versus the other. Um, and so... Um, I don't see Chase Brown necessarily, you know, taking the reins enough to be the one of the top dogs in fantasy. Um, I think that he can show tools to, you know, show that he's draft draftable. But um, I, I think this is just going to be your typical Brett Bielma offense where <laughs> we're going to see, you know, the stable of running backs come through, you know, a la, you know, Mike Shanahan as well from the 90s. <laughs> Yeah, and like you said, you know, the offensive line is probably going to be good too. So I agree with you. I think it's going to be, you know, maybe like a 60-40 split at best for Brown, you know, and then mix right. in a couple of the other guys there. But you're going to kind of rely on the efficiency that these running backs might be able to put up behind that offensive line. Um, I am lower on Brown uh, than 
others at our site there are. Um, but moving into the wide receiver room here, there's really only one name that stands out, and that's Isaiah Williams. Uh, reportedly had a very good spring, but will the QB room and the QB play here kind of hold him back, uh, or do you think he's actually going to be able to provide some consistent production, being the only real passing threat in that room? Yeah, well, arguably he was the only real passing threat last year as well, and um, he produced good enough. But yeah, the quarterback play is definitely holding him back here, as well as the system. Um, I think that he shows some NFL ability, um, but it really he really needs to show his versatility. And I don't know that he's going to be able to have the chance to do that, both because he's not going to see the ball in a catchable area as often as he would like, as well as the fact that he's going to be running the corner off the line of scrimmage every every play. Yeah, I, I, there's, you know, like you said, you know, you wrote down here on the show sheet here, you know, definitely a very versatile guy. And that's kind of what you're going to look to hang your hat on is maybe he can provide a number of roles there. But, you know, last year, like you said, he led the room. It was 47 catches, 525 yards, four touchdowns. And then it wasn't really even particularly that close for the next closest person. And that those numbers still weren't good enough to be fantasy relevant. So, you know, maybe he has a boom week, maybe two, depending on what their non-con looks like. Cause I don't have that schedule pulled up, but once they get into the big 10 play, he said, he's really just going to be kind of trying to clear it out. Uh, and then at the tight end position here, um, is there anybody here that we care about at all? Um, Luke Ford is technically on roster. He was pretty highly recruited. Um, uh, Hold on, let me pull it up. Luke Ford was a 97.53 on 24-7, which is, you know, fairly high for a tight end, about as high as you can go. So um, there's some hope. Uh, I've seen some blocking ability from him, um, but, you know, which makes sense in a run for a system. Um, and he's, he, you know, he catches the odd touchdown here and there, but I wouldn't rec- I wouldn't foresee him being a fantasy-relevant player for most of the season. Um, and probably more likely a touchdown threat in the conference schedule than the non-con um, just because, you know, the big 10 is that <laughs> ground and pound type. Uh, so they'll, they'll end up somewhere within the five, within five yards and it'll go to Luke Ford then, but I wouldn't imagine him as too much of a, you know, center middle of the field type uh, seam stretcher or anything like that. Just a very traditional big 10 tight end, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like you said, Luke Ford was a highly thought of recruit. Um, so when he transferred to Illinois and there was nothing else in the room there, you know, last year, I definitely had some hope. Uh, I have him rostered in a couple places and he just did absolutely nothing. Uh, 15 catches, 114 yards, two touchdowns. That's not, even, it's not really startable. Now he only played eight games, but still, um, I, I think the, the ship has sailed for CFF production for Luke Ford. Uh, but he does have some some traits there that, you know, maybe gets drafted later in the draft. I, I don't know. Uh, it's hard to predict the tight ends. Yeah, I mean, we can see something like um, uh, Jeremy Ruckert, right, who didn't really have that much college production. He showed he could catch at times, but frankly, he was drafted purely on tools. So if Luke Ford can show that he's fast enough and has enough blocking ability, he could be a late round flyer. Um, but let me tell you who I'm really excited about seeing on this offense is um, oh, uh, Josh Krutz, who is the okay. son of Bears legend Olin Krutz. That's who I'm excited to see. He's kind of an under undersized center. Um, and, you know, we've seen undersized centers go. Tyler Linderbaum obviously mm-hmm. slid in the draft this past year. 
but uh, you know, he was still drafted in the first round and went to a great spot uh, with the Ravens. Like, um, and I'm excited to see if Josh Kreutz can replicate, you know, that success to a certain amount where, you know, eventually he can be draftable, you know, probably mid late day three or day two. But um, yeah, I, I'm excited to see him. I'm always, I'm always here for seeing the sons of players I grew up watching. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I totally forgot about Olin Kruitz. I just, I didn't put that connection together. Um, just seeing the last name in the CFF guy, but man, I used to love, uh, I would always get Olin Kruitz in, uh, in Madden. You, I would always yeah. want to get like a good center. So he was one of my, uh, one of the guys I got a lot, you know, if I missed out on Jeff Saturday, uh, Cruz oh, yeah. was the one that I could get. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I like that call. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Moving on to Indiana. Um, we got transfer quarterback, Connor Basilak coming in from Missouri uh, and Donovan McCulley uh, quarterback who, yeah, well, you know, there was a little bit of hope there for, for him. He's definitely a very athletic guy going to be making the change to wide receiver so it's not even really a battle anymore this is going to be seems like it's going to be Basilak's room here he had some production at Missouri is there anything we can hope for here from Basilak um I think it really just depends on what uh how the team meshes right this is a uh Indiana team that has almost entirely new skill positions while the almost the entire offensive line remains intact so it really depends on how everyone absorbs the system um indiana's probably not going to be a great team this year um their defense is kind of a mess as well and uh you know this team was kind of built to rely on michael Penix for a while and once he got hurt and was out of the picture after that uh you know everything kind of crumbled around them and so you know basically could be could have some fantasy relevance because indiana will always be playing from behind um, but I, I can't imagine that this is a, uh, you know, he's not a draftable player, um, just frankly. Uh, and so I, I can't imagine that this is going to be a super fantasy relevant team, um, to pick from in general and especially the quarterback. Yeah. I couldn't agree more with you there. <laughs> I actually removed Basilak from my QB rankings. Finally, I have 110, 115 QBs ranked and oh, wow. I removed him and I just, I don't see the production there. Like you said that, you know, this last year, this was a two and 10 team. Now they might finish better than two and 10 because they did, you know, have a tougher non-con, but I still don't see much going on here in the way of, you know, once they get into the big 10 schedule, uh, it's going to be brutal for them. Uh, and I don't know if they play fast enough. They will, they'll play from behind for sure. I don't know if they play fast enough that Basilak will put up numbers that you want to be interested in starting. And and I don't know if I see an NFL future for him either. So I'm, yeah. I'm kind of out on Basilak. Um, moving though into the running back position, uh, this is a completely different room than what we saw last year. Uh, Stephen Carr, Samson James are both gone. And in comes Josh Henderson and Sean Shivers, um, transfers from North Carolina and Auburn. Uh, are there either of these guys that we care about here um i don't know that i think it's too early to tell um Mm -hmm. not that their predecessors were doing all that much either last year anyway uh but i think it's too early to tell both these guys had you know roughly similar levels of production at their previous stops and um yeah neither of them has a skill set that's 
particularly notable, which I guess is kind of the Indiana way, um, <laughs> uh, which we'll uh, talk about on the, on the wide receiver and tight end portion. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't know that anyone either one distances themselves in the preseason, maybe later in this, like you know, once we're into the season a little bit, but I, I, I didn't see any, any distinguishing factors really between the two. Yeah. I, I think this is just going to be a frustrating committee and I don't think either of them are going to be particularly that good. Um, so I'm with you there on that one, but moving into the wide receiver room, uh, they do lose Ty Freifogel, who was the, the center point of their room uh, for the past two years. Um, like I said, Donovan McCulley does change from quarterback to wide receiver. He's been making a little bit of noise there. It reportedly looked pretty impressive. Uh, it's going to be a change. It takes a little bit of time, but outside of McCulley, is there really anything worth watching here? Uh, you know, you know, it was funny, right? Because uh, they they lost Ty Fravogel and Peyton Hendershot in the same season. And if you ever watched Indiana football, you were always confused which one was which between the two of them. Uh, Ty Freifogel was a wide receiver that looked like a tight end, and Peyton Hendershot was a tight end that looked basically played like a wide receiver. And so it was really difficult to distinguish the two, honestly. Um, and besides the domestic violence from one of them, I think their, their you know their NFL profiles were roughly the same as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, not to make light of light of that, mm-hmm. but um, I, I, this is, yeah, it's, it's just difficult to talk about this team because one, it's just so unknown. Everyone's, you know, this is a piecemeal team that they're putting together an offense because they just didn't, they, it was a poverty room. And I think we're looking at another poverty room where uh, maybe we can see Macaulay do something, but it's uh, you know, the history of quarterbacks turning to wide receiver is, not great in general. Um, we'll see probably AJ Barner put up some numbers uh, from the tight end position. Um, and I, you know, he'll, he'll grab the odd touchdown too, but considering how poorly we expect this offense to perform, like it's hard to say um, that anyone is going to be, you know, CFF relevant or even draftable, frankly. Yeah. I, I don't think there's a lot here. We don't have to spend too much time on Indiana. <laughs> um, we'll move into, uh, we'll move into Iowa, uh, a team that, you know, they were, they were ranked pretty highly last year. They ranked inside the top five. Um, you know, they bring their quarterback back, Spencer Petrus, but he doesn't really inspire that much confidence here. You know, he did not play particularly well last year. Um, he had, below 60% completion percentage, 10 touchdowns, nine interceptions, 5.8 air yards per attempt. Nothing particularly you want to write home about here. Can Iowa actually be good contenders, um, real contenders in the Big Ten with such poor QB play? I mean, the short answer is yes, because they play in the uh, Big Ten West, and, you know, that's a wide-open division this season even I, maybe more than most seasons. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think Iowa can be competitive. Spencer Petrus is not good um, by no means, although, you know, other poor Iowa quarterbacks have made the league and made starts as well. So, you know, I guess there is something to be said for that. Uh, I think the most important thing is probably stability here. Um, you know, Petrus obviously knows the system. He knows, you know, a lot of his, these players they're returning a, a fair number. Um, they obviously lose Tyler Linderbaum, which is a huge loss, but with, maybe with a bigger center, they can actually, you know, road grade a little more forward. But 
this is not a this is not a system that's predicated on good quarterback play, and I, I think <laughs> I think we can be satisfied with that because we see a lot of production in other places. Yeah, um, other production like possibly in the running back room. Um, Tyler Goodson is gone. Um, you know, he went off to the NFL. Uh, a little bit of hope there, maybe. Um, we'll see how that shakes out for him. Uh, but they do have the Williams. Uh, Gavin and LaShawn, they're both getting a little bit of hype here this offseason. They also have been getting some hype from a promising true freshman, Caleb Johnson. Uh, Are any of these guys going to distance themselves, or are we looking at maybe a committee more so than what we saw when Tyler Goodson was there? Yeah, I I think it's it's the latter for sure. Uh, Neither Gavin Williams nor LaShawn Williams are Tyler Goodson's level, um, and that's okay. Uh, because, you know, as a lot of uh, draft Twitter will tell you, running backs don't matter, um, especially when your line is as refined as as Iowa is. Uh, Kirk Ferentz really churns out these linemen, these tight ends, just, you know, these corn-fed big boys um, year after year after year. And I, I think we're going to see the same team. Um, and that, that con- consistency is what makes Kirk Ferentz so great, right? is that we're going to see good linemen, we're going to see good tight ends, and we're going to see running backs that li- run behind this line and and succeed from that. So I, I think it's more of the same. Um, I think, you know, I don't think the running backs are as good as what they had last year, but I don't think that the difference between 4.4 yards per play, for per rush and 4.2 yards per rush is going to be the difference in this offense. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like you said, when when you play behind an offensive line like that, and you know they have a, quite the history of developing offensive linemen, even beyond just you know Tyler Linderbaum this year, uh, it doesn't matter as much how good the RBs are. You gotta figure that they're going to put up good efficiency stats at least. Uh, moving into the wide receiver room, uh, the only person really here of note is uh, Keegan Johnson, uh, who was a three star last year. He's definitely talented. I uh, flashed a little bit in limited work last year. Uh, 18 catches, 352 yards, two touchdowns as a true freshman. But it's difficult for Iowa to actually produce much wide receiver and receiving production, particularly outside of the tight end. You know, is there any hope here for Keegan Johnson, uh, or are we more looking at him as maybe a potential draft guy in in the vein of like an Amir Smith-Marset. Yeah, I was I was going to say actually the same guy, you know, Amir Smith-Marset gives Iowa all Iowa receivers hope that they can maybe be drafted <laughs> based on just tools alone. Um frankly, he Smith-Marset did not have production either coming into his, his draft profile. And so Keegan Johnson may be an NFL player. Um I guess it's yet to be seen because we need the consistency first. Um but in terms of just CFF. It's just, it, you know, it's not something you need to be relying on. Like Iowa wide receivers aren't going to be the, your workhorses, right? Like it's just, it's just, just not how that works. And, you know, um, you know, we'll get to it with tenants like Sam Laporta is like every other Iowa tight end. Right. Uh, which is that like, these guys are good blockers and they are, they have athletic tools and they will be good receivers as well. I think Sam Laporta, um, could with great play this year, uh, vault himself into early day two consideration. Um, and I think he's, he might be a little more athletic than, you know, 
some of the other tight ends across the conference, but he's pretty on par with the athleticism we've seen from Iowa tight ends coming out recently. Hawkinson, Fant, you know, if you, if you want to go back, Kittle even, you know. Uh, so Iowa's been pulling out all these tight ends as much as like Notre Dame has basically, right? And so um, I, I, I think that the tight end positions we're going to see the production and the receivers just, that's just not how that works, especially when, you know, the defenses in the big 10 West are a little more defensive back focused. I think their, uh, their, their safeties are, the safeties are a little weaker this year, I think than, than years past. And so I think it's possible for tight ends to really take advantage of that this year, especially. Yeah. Especially outside of Iowa. I mean, they have Riley yeah. back there, but you know, there's not really anybody else of note across the rest of the division. And Sam Laporta last year led the team 53 catches, 670 yards, uh, three touchdowns. So, you know, you can get some CFF production from him there too. And then if, like you said, you know, he could, if he performs well at the combine, I can definitely see him getting some day two consideration. Um, I do have him, you know, ranked inside my top 10 tight ends for that reason. Um, I, I think he offers a little bit of both. You know, whereas some of the other guys might not. Um, moving into Maryland here, and uh, I will let you kind of run with this as the resident Maryland expert. You know, we talked about a little bit earlier about them and their offense. Uh, Talia has been a very productive college quarterback. Um, you know, is there a legit NFL future here for him, or is he a little bit more name than substance right now? Um. Well, I don't know that the name Tonga Vailoa holds that much water right now, either way, frankly. Um, I, I don't know. I guess, I guess you could tell me, I, you know, being somewhat new to the CFF, like how was, how has Talia been viewed in years past um, as, as someone who is in a quarterback friendly system, especially when it comes to production? Yeah. I mean, he's definitely somebody that you want to roster on, on a weekly basis or on a, you know, across the year. And, and you're going to start him in a lot of different situations. Um, you know, he doesn't bring as much with the rushing. Uh, he finished QB 41 last year. And the bulk of that is off of his arm, you know, 3,800 yards passing 26 touchdowns. So he's, is somebody that absolutely is starting worthy, but I, I do think there's a little bit more hype around him. Uh, because of the name than maybe what's necessarily warranted. Okay. That's interesting. <laughs> like, so as a Maryland fan, I will say uh, Tully is the best quarterback we've had since maybe Daniel Bryan, which is like, uh, you know, <laughs> that's a deep cut for, for a lot of people. Um, but the thing is, uh, you know, I have always been of the opinion that right-handed quarterbacks are generally just superior to left-handed quarterbacks. There's, there's a very famous, not famous, but uh, many people have seen the highlight clip from uh, who was the UVA tight end last year? Jelani uh, Woods. Jelani Woods. There's a tight touchdown from Jelani Woods where Brendan Armstrong throws that ball to him. And if it was a right-handed quarterback making that throw, it was in the perfect spot. But because it was a left-handed quarterback, Jelani Woods basically has to turn all the way around to catch the ball and he still makes it in the end zone. Um, so ultimately the result was the same. But receivers actually do need to make adjustments to left-handed quarterbacks. And so I always said that Talia was actually maybe a better prospect than Tua because of that, because of the, 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 
the way the ball drifts into the receiver's hands. Um, Talia was a better uh, high school quarterback. He put up better stats in a much more competitive league. Talia played in Mississippi, Tua played in Hawaii, right? So it's just like it was hard to compare the two because they have roughly similar skill sets. Uh, while Talia maybe might not be considered a rushing quarterback, he does a fair amount of uh, running mostly because the line has made him run for his <laughs> life a couple times here and there. Um, I think he probably lacks a little bit in the arm strength, but he, he, you know, he has the guts to stand in there and make throws when he's about to get nailed by Haskell Garrett, you know, <laughs> um, all 310 pounds of him, 320 pounds of him just slamming down on him. Um, Tully is obviously a smaller guy. And so he may not get as much NFL attention as, um, as Tua because he's not playing for Alabama. Um, but, and there's, there's obviously things to be said about Talia lacked a little bit in efficiency, obviously, um, where, you know, he had maybe the, I think the most passing attempts, but only the third most completion. So it was, you know, there's some efficiency matters to be had, but I think, uh, what he needs to show this year is that he can consistently, uh, make throws without, without the picks maybe, because he led the league, uh, he led the conference in league, uh, picks last year, obviously tied with a couple others with 11 picks, which is, you know, not great. Um, granted they were just chucking it around and in, in blowouts for a while as well. So, um, I think Maryland is a bowling team this year, but just barely. Um, and, uh, and frankly, I think as the, Maryland's going to take, take a step back next year, we don't have a quarterback, um, recruited. I mean, we do, uh, survey, um, but we don't have anyone near the caliber of Leah. So, um, it'll be interesting. Uh, I think, I think he will be. Talia will be drafted for his name. Um, I think that's a fair, fair criticism. Um, but at the very least, I think he'll latch on somewhere as a backup. Uh, you know, maybe he can beat out Tyler Huntley in Baltimore or something like somewhere where they value the mobility without necessarily the rushing. Um, and so, you know, obviously Baltimore does value the rushing, but I, I think there are tools there that uh, would make him a backup for quarterbacks with a similar skill set. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I wrote up the uh, the Talia Tagovailoa profile for our Debbie guide. So I agree with a lot of what you're saying there. In inconsistent with his accuracy is one of the biggest things that he needs to fix this year. I mean, there's some times where he makes some really nice throws and there's other times where it's way off the mark. Um, you know, I, I think he's at his best when operating inside of structure. So he is mobile enough to extend plays uh, and he can pick up some extra yards when he needs to. But I do think he performs fairly well inside a structure. Um, pressure was what I noted and, and as something that he needs to improve against. And like you said, that O-line opened up a lot of holes for him. So he did face a lot of pressure. But overall, he's got a lot of the raw tools that you're looking for. He's have a power, pi power five pedigree, a good recruiting pedigree. Uh, and, you know, he is going to have good production behind him. So I do think he is going to be drafted and has a good chance to be a long-term NFL backup. Yeah, I agree. Uh, we'll move there into the running backs then. Uh, and this room, you know, they lose Tayon Fleet Davis. Uh, it's sounding like uh, Roman Hemby is probably going to lead this room. Colby McDonald is there. Um, but they also do bring in Ramon Brown who is a guy that we uh, are high on at the site. You know, myself, I know Austin is a, is a Ramon Brown fan as well. Uh, is there anybody that 
we can see having production from this room? Is this going to be more of a committee approach? Uh, or do we think Ramon Brown can, you know, maybe step up here as a freshman, start to take over by the end of the year? Yeah. So Colby McDonald actually really came down, came showed out a little bit towards the end of the year last year. Um, he's He was a true freshman last year. And uh, like during the bowl game, he got an extended run and he really showed out, frankly, against a bad Virginia Tech defense. I was mostly playing backups. Um, but, uh, and you know, the Roman Hemby, it does what he does. Um, and there's someone like, you know, Fal Mauto who's only on the roster because he's, uh, a Tonga Vailoa family friend. Uh, that's <laughs> actually the only reason he's on the team. It was kind of a package deal where they're like, come on, you bring the family friend over. Um, and so, but yeah, it's, I think it's accurate to say that Ramon Brown is expected to probably take the reins probably by week seven or so, uh, maybe earlier. Um, I, I Watching Ramon Brown um, reminded me of a different Brown, um, Letty Brown. And I, I think I think that uh, the staff at Maryland is hoping that he has a similar arc of development as well as a similar impact in the game um, as Letty Brown did for West Virginia, which is, you know, um, a decent uh, – a decent receiving back, you know, not necessarily a plus plus tool, but you know, something where he, he can contribute in the screen game. Um, and as someone who is a quick enough power back, uh, Ramon Brown is probably, he has a second gear, but it takes him a while to get up to there. And so it, you know, being mostly a hit the hole type of back is really what the big 10 needs. Uh, you know, all the teams in the big 10 are looking for essentially. And so, um, I think I think there's obviously room for him to develop, but the expect expectation is um, when they when they pulled him away from Virginia Tech, it was that was the expectation that he was going to be starting pretty pretty sooner rather than later. Man, I love hearing that. Like I said, I like Brown a lot. The biggest question, like you said, the second gear, um, you know, it takes him a while to build up to it, and it's not the you know top gear that you want to see out of like the top end recruits. But he does everything else really well. Um, I hope he takes over towards the you know middle of middle to end of the year there, and then moving into 2023, you see you don't have a quarterback on staff uh, or like on hand there that you know the staff feels good about. Um, can Ramon Brown kind of be like the focal point of this offense then? You know, moving forward, um, it's possible, uh, especially with a lot of these receivers expected to leave in the next couple of years. Uh, you know, talk about you know super senior Jayshon Jones who. Uh, you know, talk about having the brightest start and then just totally injuries <laughs> getting, you know, uh, for those who don't remember in that Texas game in his very first college game ever, he had a receiving touchdown, a rushing touchdown and a passing touchdown in that game. Uh, and so everyone was super hyped with Jay Sean Jones and he tore his ACL like two games later. And it was just, it was just a real bummer. Um, and injuries have, have played them ever since, but you know, if he can stay healthy, he's as you know, good enough to be the third, fourth best receiver on this receiving core, which is studded, uh, you know, star studded, frankly, with Dante Demas having, um, I think the most consecutive games with 70 yards receiving consecutively uh, last year in the big 10, um, despite getting injured in the Iowa game. Um, and, you know, a lot of people see an NFL future future with him. I, I've heard some people dislike his running motion. He, you know, he's like 6'3", so he has a little bit of a gazelle-like running motion <laughs> that people uh, don't like. And maybe that's part of the reason why he got hurt uh, against Iowa. Um, 
you you have Rakeem Jarrett, who was widely touted as the best recruit we've gotten since Stephon Diggs. Uh, that was, you know, obviously a big deal. But other than that Penn State game where he took the same play to the house, what, three times? Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, um, that hurts. That hurts. <laughs> um, I mean, I think Jaquan Brisker was just watching him at that point. It was kind of a, <laughs> kind of questionable. But, um, you know. Other than that, has Rakeem Jarrett really been as productive as we expected him to be? Like, I, I'm not sure. Uh, I think in the Slack once I said that my bold prediction is Rakeem Jarrett doesn't declare for the draft this year as a true junior. Um, and I think that's possible. Um, Jacob Copeland is an interesting case. How often do you get to uh, get someone else's leading receiver as as your um as a transfer in to already a fairly good and widely uh, highly regarded receiving core and Jacob Copeland from Florida. um, He's not really a separator, uh, but his catch point skills are just ridiculous. It's just crazy. He, he is a inaccuracy eraser in many ways. Um, And so it's really exciting to see that where Rakeem Jarrett brings a little bit more of the shiftiness route running. Dante Demas has a little bit of the speed and the deep threat and Jacob Copeland's just going to, you know, beat, he beat his defender, whatever it takes. And so a little bit of a kitchen sink, uh, kitchen drawer of receiving core here. Um, but not to forget about, you know, younger guys, we have incoming freshmen, Octavian Smith and Shalik Knotts. Uh, Shalik Knotts is like six, two. So he's like your more prototypical guy while Octavian Smith was a really highly regarded receiver from local guy from paint branch. Um, he he's considered one of the fastest guys in the class, um, total. And so, uh, you know, it was, it was a good recruiting year. And so I think there is a future, but without a quarterback, I think, yeah, it goes really back to Ramon Brown a little bit. Yeah. I think like you said, Raheem Jarrett, you know, his decision to stay or go is, is really going to shape the future of this room because Deshaun Jones will be gone. And I mean, like you said, you know, he struggles to stay healthy, but he's probably one of the best number four receivers in the country. I mean, this room yeah. is deep. Uh, bringing in Jacob Copeland was huge. He's been reportedly looking good in the spring. Dante Demas can, you know, come back healthy. Um, this is a loaded room, but then, you know, you bring Rakeem Jarrett back for 2023. I think that'll help a lot. Cause uh, when I was watching Shalik Knotts, I don't think he's going to be quite ready yet. I think he's going to take a little bit of time to develop. He was pretty raw. Um, so yeah, bringing him back will be huge, but yeah, I mean, I, I think this will probably be more of a run-focused team moving into 2023 after Talia leaves. Um, but they do at the tight end position, um, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce the first name, um, <laughs> they lose a Conquo to the NFL. I mean, he was a, a productive receiver last year for the tight end position, particularly once Demas went down, um, he stepped up in a pretty big way. You know, the way we kind of wanted to see Jared step up. Uh, and that led to a Conquo being drafted. Uh, sounding like maybe Corey Dykes is going to be the next man up here. Is there any interest in anybody in this room? Yeah. Uh, us Maryland fans, we just call him Chig. Uh, but yeah, okay. Chig, Chig obviously <laughs> uh, filled um, a, an important role. Um, if for folks who don't remember, he had a heart condition. So he, he was recovering from a heart surgery for a year. Um, so he actually missed uh, a while, but he, you know, he came back undersized tight end and was drafted. Um, his role was, is very different from what, the other tight ends on, on roster can fill. Um, Corey Dykes was recruited as a three-star wide receiver. Um, and he actually saw some playing time, but, you know, clearly not enough because they thought he was, you know, was 
would be able to transition over to tight end. And frankly, he looks a little goofy playing tight end because he is <laughs> thin. He is obvious, very obviously a former receiver. You know, there, there's some other tight ends that we'll go through later that were recruited as wide receivers as well. Uh, Corey Dykes is not like those guys. He, I, I'd be surprised if he's over 220. Like, um, I, I guess I don't have the number in front of me, but he is thin. He looks like a wide receiver um, and not a thick one either. So, um, so he's going to play a very specific receiving role. And, you know, that's fine because that creates some matchup problems, especially with the defenses in the conference this year. Um, the other the other tight ends on roster are CJ Dip- Dippery and uh, Weston Wolf, uh, who is often forgot about. They actually were recruited with the same exact recruiting rating coming in, um, which is an interesting note. But uh, CJ Dippery is largely considered the better the better prospect of the two right now. Um, and so he's probably going to be slightly more of your traditional Y tight end uh, look. Um, Chig was a little more of like an F tight end, like a moving fullback type. Uh, and Chig was a little bit of a better run blocker than all, all three of those other guys. Um, but yeah, it's it, this offense doesn't run through tight ends. Um, I guess OJ Howard played in this offense and was drafted off of it. But, you know, uh, it, it's a similar system to what... Um, what uh Loxley ran in his one year at Alabama and so it's it's not a it's not gonna be a huge production one um whoever gets on the field will more likely be depend on the game script if if it's a blowout Corey Dykes will get in there and you know be that extra receiving threat if we're playing you know in front or a competitive game um they'll get the blockers in there which is you know one of Weston Wolf or CJ Dippery who are both larger guys so it actually works that way but yeah, it's not going to be – no one's going to be fantasy relevant for a while and probably not draft relevant either. Yeah, so I, as you were talking, I looked up um, Corey Dykes. 6'1", 219 is what I'm seeing him listed at. Yeah. So that's tiny. That's yeah, that t- is. <laughs> <laughs> that is tiny. That is not tight end size. Um, so, yeah, Dipre is, is an interesting name. It's not somebody I've heard floated out there before, but uh, it doesn't sound like too much production coming from this tight end room, particularly given how loaded the wide receivers are. Uh, we'll move into Michigan here. Uh, the surprise team from last year. Uh, I know I know I did not see this coming. Uh, Cade McNamara um, really game managed Minnesota or Michigan uh, in their way to the playoff there. Can he keep the success that the team saw last year going? Uh, or is he, you know, more of a, a, a roof to this team where he's kind of capping the ceiling? Yeah, I mean, so you, you talked about this team as a surprise. Um, I did a little bit of uh, digging uh, through the college football playoff history for an article that is up on the website um, that was immediately uh, deemed obsolete by UCLA and USC saying they're coming to the Big Ten. Um, <laughs> but uh, Michigan is the only team in college football playoff history that has started outside the top 25 preseason rankings that has made the college football playoff. Um and that is only because they won the Big Ten and mm-hmm. won the Big Ten championship. There's, without that, there's no way you can get into the college football playoff. The, the I think other than them, the lowest that someone started was 17, which was Michigan State in like 16, I think. Um, and so it anyway. That's a side note. <laughs> um, but uh, Kate McNamara is, I think, good enough 
Um, I think the easy way to say that, uh, you know, someone in the Slack at some point said that Georgia and Michigan are where quarterbacks go to die. Um, and, <laughs> like, and it's just, that's just true. You know, uh, you know, not that Shea Patterson was good at Ole Miss, but like he was not good at Michigan either. Um, and we have yet to see a legit quarterback, uh, prospect come out under Jim Harbaugh. And, um, I think, there's obviously a reason for that, which is that this system is, I think, what's capping it, not necessarily the quarterback. Um, I think Kate McNamara is good enough for this system. Um, but uh, I guess I guess the real question is, what is this offense go- even going to look like, you know, um, with the with the new offensive coordinator? And um, so I the short answer is, I guess, no, I don't think Kate McNamara is what's capping the performance of this team. Uh, but it may be more important this year, uh, the quarterback play, because their defense isn't going to be quite as dominant this year as it was last year. Yeah, I mean, they lose some big names off that defense um, there in in Hutchinson and Ajabo, um, Hill. You know, they lose some guys off that team. But, yeah, I I agree with you. I, I think at this point, you know, there hasn't been a legitimate quarterback prospect that's come out of Harbaugh's system since Andrew Luck. So I think the question there more is, you know, did Luck succeed kind of despite Harbaugh's system? Um, and given the track record there, you know, you can kind of kind of say that maybe, yeah, he did. But after, you know, they have Cade McNamara there, then they have J.J. McCarthy. Uh, it was a highly thought of recruit, uh, came in. You know, he was used in sub packages last year. People are, are pretty hyped on him. Uh, he was hurt in the spring. He is still hurt. From my understanding, of the, the thought is he's going to be ready in the fall. Um, do we think he can actually unseat McNamara, you know, when he's healthy? Or is this more of a, a 2023 play from, from McCarthy? Well, the injury sure doesn't help, does it? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I think this is McNamara's team until he's out um, next year. I I think JJ McCarthy probably has more of a possibility for being a Sunday player than McNamara. Um, we will have to see it once he fully takes the reins. But as of now, I we're not going to see McCarthy. And even in those sub packages, those sub packages weren't like wildly successful, frankly. Um, they, they scored a touchdown here and there, uh, but it wasn't like a wildly successful, you know, uh, like Miami Dolphins wildcat formation type type success. It was it was fine. It, it had its moments. Um, but I think, you know, I think the coaching staff, you know, showed their hand too much when they were doing that. And so um, I, I think J.J. McCarthy probably has more chance he's, you know, obviously the better runner between the two and stuff. Um, and I think their arms are roughly comparable. Um, and I think there is a little bit of that seniority thing that's keeping McNamara up top. Um, but yeah, I think McCarthy's going to have to wait his turn. Um, and I, I don't think Alex Orgy is going <laughs> to <we'll> be able to <laughs> crack that anytime soon either. Um, I wouldn't, yeah, I could, yeah. I could see maybe like a position change or something going there. Like, <laughs> Yeah, Alex Orgy, um, three-star QB in the class of 2022 here. Uh, he was committed to Virginia Tech uh, and then, you know, convert, flipped over to Michigan. There was some thought that maybe he would switch positions because, you know, he is a, a big athletic guy. Um, so position change still maybe in the future there. But they have missed out on every quarterback prospect that they've been trying to bring in. So we'll see how this ends up shaking out. Alex Orgy, though, with that dual threat ability, just somebody to note, 
somebody that I would throw on the watch list uh, in case he starts to make some noise. Nobody that I would want to roster, though. Uh, moving into the running back position, uh, they do lose leading rusher Hassan Haskins from last year, uh, but they have a pretty stacked room still. They get Corum back, who looked really good last year prior to injury. Um, they have Donovan Edwards, who was a highly thought of recruit. Um, he, he's back this year, too. Is there, you know, do we think one of these guys leads the room or is this, you know, maybe a little bit more of a committee? And what are your thoughts on the NFL future for both of these guys? Yeah, so the uh, Campus to Canton CFF guide has Blake Corum at running, running back 23 and Donovan Edwards at running back 44, uh, which, you know, would clearly imply that the staff at least thinks it's going to be a committee approach here. Um, they probably run enough that such that both of them can have some sort of fantasy rel- relevance. Um, I, I, I think it remains to be seen um, depending on considering we don't really know what this offense is going to look like uh, as in terms of Sundays uh, Corum is an interesting look where he's, he's only like five, nine. He's, he's kind of short, but he's, he's got this like MJD type vibe going around him. He's a little thicker. Um, but they had this little bit of like a dash and smash dynamic with uh, Corum and Edwards where Corum's not, he's not a speed back by any means, but he is a, I will beat you to point a type uh, runner, which is, you know, has its place. Uh, this, this offense was, you know, humming with Hassan, Hassan Haskins at the helm, you know, and he, you know, was drafted late, was a not, ex- not that explosive of a running back. He was a between the tackles, I'm going to run you over type guy, you know? Uh, and so uh, Corum was a good change of pace from that. Uh, Donovan Edwards is a little bit more like Hassan Haskins, I think, where he's, you know, a little bit more of a bruiser, but neither of them have ideal size for the next level. And so it'll be interesting. I know certain uh, services have Corum rated fairly high. I think it would Dane Brugler has him as a seventh running back for this year upcoming class. Uh, or no, it was PFF. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, not Dane Brugler, but um yeah, so like Corum has some hype to him. I think that he could see some role, but the if Maurice Jones-Drew came out in the draft this year, he would not be drafted, frankly. Um, you know, he was already fell to the second round at a time where running backs were going in the first round. And um, I think that that specific skill set, while valuable, in my opinion, I don't think teams value that as much anymore. Um, look at like uh, how Ezekiel Elliott didn't even make the top 10 in um, running backs. And I think that's justifiably so uh, when the NFL execs were pulled. Um, but at the same time, execs aren't thinking about things like pass pro, which I contend Ezekiel Elliott is still elite at. Um maybe the best in the league at um but you know execs aren't thinking about that they're thinking about rushing production and uh Blake Corum has will get some yards but I I kind of doubt that he has that long-term Sunday ability to be a bell cow guy who's going to you know maybe even like I think the measure of success of a running back is that they you at least consider getting giving them a second contract and Blake Corum doesn't feel like that to me I think that's definitely fair. Like you touched on with his, his size, five, uh, nine, he's about 200 pounds. So like the BMI is there. So that doesn't really worry me that much, but the concern is like you said, it, you know, the comp to MJD, if MJD were to come out today. Is he, you know, where does he go in the draft? And I, I think you're right now. I think quorum has enough athleticism, enough receiving ability that he'll get drafted and he'll find a role. 
I just don't know exactly what that role is going to be. But coming from the Big Ten, I, I think there's a decent chance that he could get some day two draft capital if he, uh, you know, late day two. But if he blows up at the combine, um, Edwards, like you said, you know, more the receiving guy there. Um, that was his big draw coming out. Uh, I believe 24 seven um, comped him to Alvin Kamara when he was coming out. So it'll High be, int- <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that dynamic works this year. Uh, but then moving into the uh, receiving room, uh, Ronnie Bell hurt early last year. Um, you know, he, he is coming back this year. Uh, they have Andrew Anthony, who's a big play threat. You know, he flashed uh, a, a huge touchdown run there. Um you know, Ronnie Bell coming back, is that going to help this passing game? Um, with, you know, with Andrew Anthony there, they can kind of differing skill sets. Yeah, I, well, I also want to mention Cornelius Johnson, who was the 13th leading receiver in the conference last year. Um, I, I mean, obviously, partially because he was, uh, uh, <laughs> partially because he was, you know, playing due to Ronnie Bell getting injured. But um, I think that from my understanding, Jim Harbaugh's system is not reliant on dominant receiver play. And so when it comes to it, these, these guys are all, you know, kind of similar. They're all kind of the six foot and under uh, like less than 190 and under type speedier guys um, that, you know, are going to make plays here and there, but I, I don't, you know, it, it's tough for me at least to separate them from the pack. Um, I think what's more interesting is these, these freshmen that are coming in, uh, Tyler Morris and Darius Clements, who are a little bit more of the different type. Uh, Tyler Morris being the track star and Clemens being the the bigger guy. Um, wh- where Michigan fans might think of someone like Donovan Peoples-Jones, and he's not that type of player. He's more of the high point, um, go and get it, you know, rebounder uh, type receiver. Um, and so I think once those guys develop, it'll be more interesting, but right now I don't see a huge diversity in skill set between the, the receivers. And so, um, while, um, while they'll, they'll be productive, uh, I don't know that necessarily any of them are popping up the screen for me particularly. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't think there's a, a Donovan people's Jones in this group. Um, Ronnie Bell, if he comes back healthy, maybe he has some sort of draft capital here, but, um, you know, we'll, we'll see how the room shakes out, but you said this room doesn't really lead itself, lend itself. And this offense doesn't lend itself to uh, wide receiver production. Um, moving into the tight end position though, they do have an intriguing name there. Uh, and Eric all, uh, he was pretty productive last year. He's second on the team in terms of receptions, uh, with 38, 38 catches, 437 yards, two touchdowns, um, you know, I, I, like I said, he productive year last year, good size. Are we seeing an NFL future here for him? I could see a middle to late round guy here. Um, I think he's probably a better run after catch guy than he is a really a route runner, which, you know, for tight ends is not the biggest deal. Um, I think route running is probably a little overrated considering, you know, uh, being the Cowboys fan, I, I noticed Dalton Schultz being the top 10 of uh, NFL tight ends um, pulled by executives for a guy that didn't run routes, he just ran five yards and turned around. That was his, that was his entire role in that offense. And somehow he's the sixth best tight end in the league. (laughs) I think, you know, I think in a similar vein, you don't need crisp route running to be a good tight, a good and effective tight end. And Eric all is probably a little more athletic than we've seen from like other tight ends, like Jake, Butt or, you know, the like from Michigan tight ends 
he's probably a little like I think he's a little bit shorter than Jake Butt, if I remember correctly. But he's he's a little more athletic and a little shiftier after the catch, which is you know interesting and will definitely get uh, attention from teams that run a little bit more of the spread system, where like maybe like the Rams who you know run Tyler Higby and Gerald Everett out there, and, and so th- some of those uh, speedier and uh, <clears throat> and more move tight end uh, systems will definitely definitely take a look at him at the very least. Yeah, he's he's a guy that's been been creeping up for me a little bit here. Um, yeah, I, I guess I could see I could see an NFL future for him more easily than I could some other Big Ten tight ends, like you said, just because of the athleticism there. For sure. Um, and then moving into Michigan State, you know, if Michigan was a surprise, Michigan State also very much a surprise. Um, they they were in the uh, Big Ten title contention running all year. Um, yeah, that was quite the race between them, you know, Michigan and Ohio State. Uh, they bring back a lot, uh, the starting quarterback there, Peyton Thorne, quietly a very solid year last year. Um, leading rusher Kenneth Walker III is gone. He'll be off to the NFL. Uh, are we thinking this team's going to lean a little bit more on Peyton Thorne? And if so, are we seeing that raise his draft stock a little bit maybe? Um, I think it's debatable. Uh, I personally don't think Peyton Thorne is a Sunday player. Um, I think he could be a backup. But I think he probably follows a similar trajectory to someone like Connor Cook, um, who was also fairly productive at Michigan State, but you know never amounted to anything. He was drafted in the fourth round, so he was he had draft capital, but it he just never panned out. Um, Peyton Thorne is was kind of perfect for the system last year, where because they were running it so much, they they ran a flea flicker in probably at least half their games. Right. Like, um, and just like, and no one benefited from that as much as Jaden Reed. Right. Uh, but Peyton Thorne, you know, has sufficient arm strength when he can wind it up. Uh, but he kind of needs space to step into that, which, you know, is benefited by, a, you know, a decent offensive line. I wouldn't say it's necessarily one of the best in the conference, but, um, it's good enough. And, uh, and so it'll be interesting um, obviously they have the, the freshman coming in, um, Kaden Hauser, who's, you know, it's questionable whether he's going to stick around. Right. Like, uh, and I gotta give my, gotta give my mention to my fellow Korean American, uh, Noah Kim from Westfield high school. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> who's also a DC local like me. Okay. So, um, yeah, I gotta, gotta give, give, give him some love, but yeah, I, I, it's Peyton Thornton's job. It, no one's threatening that anytime soon. So, um, you know, he, he is good for the system, but not probably not a Sunday player, in my opinion. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I don't necessarily disagree with that. I think we'll see how he progresses this year um, with a little bit more of the offense on his shoulder. But the tools wise, I agree with you. It's more on the Connor Cook uh, spectrum than, you know, in the Kirk Cousins vein, if we're just st- strictly talking Michigan State quarterbacks there. But right. Kattenhauser, you touched on, talented freshman. Um, he probably is going to have to wait two years if uh, if Thorne doesn't leave. So, like you mentioned, you know, he, uh, he might dip if he doesn't get a chance to start. So that'll be interesting to keep an eye on. Uh, the most interesting thing with this team is going to be the wide receiver room. Everybody saw Kenneth Walker the third last year. You know, a guy was getting some Heisman buzz. Um, exploded this year, solid draft capital. He's gone. They do bring in Jarek Broussard from Colorado, uh, who 
he was not there when Mel Tucker was, but I believe Mel Tucker was one of the ones who recruited him, if I remember correctly, on the years there. Um, and then they also bring in Jalen Berger, former Wisconsin running back. They have Jordan Simmons, Elijah Collins also still there. Uh, is there one guy here that you think is going to break out, or are we looking at maybe more of a committee this year? So Jalen Berger is the RB66, according to Campus to Canton's CFF guide. Um, so, uh, J and he definitely does have the more potential to break out as the, you know, lead back the bell cow in this backfield. Um, and you know, they have depth, but this offensive line is not going to be that good this year. It's not their strength. And so, and especially with like a questionable wide receiver room as well, other than outside of Jaden Reed. Uh, we, we might be looking at like a lot of just a, a huge committee because everyone, you know, everyone's going to be getting hit, obviously. But uh, I think I think with the amount of wear and tear that's going to be on the leading on this ground game, um, I think I think we'll see mostly a, a split. Um, and that's not to say that one person's going to get the, the better side of that split. It's just you never know who's going to get the uh, come out on top on that split, I think, uh, throughout the season. Yeah, absolutely. And especially with Jarek Broussard not being on campus throughout the spring, he didn't join the, the team until the summer. Um, so we don't even really necessarily know exactly how he's going to fit into that team there. Uh, so we'll, it'll be a room to keep an eye on, but Jalen Berger was the, uh, was my pick for the cram session. So Austin and I did our first cram session. He was my pick as a player to hurt himself this year. Um, mm. So I, I kind of disagree with him being ranked quite as highly as some of the other guys at the site. Uh, but you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it shakes out. Right. Uh, moving into the wide receiver room, you touched on him a little bit earlier there. Jaden Reed, uh, very intriguing name, uh, early breakout his freshman year at Western Michigan transferred to Michigan state. Now he had to sit out because of the old transfer rules. Um, but he had a big year last year and with Kenneth Walker, the third gone and, and maybe the team leaning a little bit more on the passing offense there. Uh, do we think he's going to be more of the focal point? Uh, of this offense uh, and then you know off of that you know, what are you thinking is uh is, is nfl futures looking like yeah i i this michigan state's offense has never necessarily been centered on you know phenomenal wide receiver play obviously jalen naylor just got drafted um and so he, you know we've seen successful uh wide receivers from the system or for at least from the school uh move on to receive interest. Uh, I think Jaden Reed might actually have a better profile than Jalen Naylor. I could see a late D2 guy. Um, the thing that pops off the screen to me with Jaden Reed is just a completely effortless acceleration. It almost looks like he's, he's playing. It's, it's from a video game because his stride doesn't change when he's accelerating. Um, it's just, it's just very smooth and his stride between his acceleration point and his, his, uh, you know, his coasting point is just, the exact same. I couldn't, I couldn't tell when they were different. And so that that's level of uh, effortless acceleration tells me a certain level of athleticism, which I think translates well to the NFL. Um, and I think someone will probably take a shot on him. Um, and obviously there are other guys in the room, you know, the, the freshmen are incoming and stuff, but um, and the transfer tight end as well, um, Malik Carr. Uh, but yeah, this is Jaden's Jaden Reed's room and he's going to get the most targets. Um, and especially in a year with weaker uh, defensive backs in the in the conference, um, he he might actually see a good amount of production, and um, he might he might see some some 
good fantasy relevance as well. Uh, we at Campus Can have him listed at wide receiver thirteen. So, um, so I've you know rated high, and I, I believe I believe he'll live up to that. You know, obviously plus or minus, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, thousand yard receiver last year, ten touchdowns. Um, I, I also like the versatility he brings in the kick return game. Um, you know, returned kicks, returned punts. I think that's also going to help him with his with his draft capital there Absolutely. too. You know? Yeah. Um, you know, the versatility will help with that day two draft capital. I I, I can kind of see a late day two guy there as well. Um, but you touched on the uh, the in, incoming freshman in this room, Jeremy Bernard, a four star guy, Antonio Gates Jr. Uh, yes, the son of that Antonio Gates, uh, four star. Also, um, both are wide receivers incoming. Um, there'll be guys to keep an eye on, but like you said, they, they never really lean that heavily on the, on the wide receiver room. I think Jaden Reed's production is more of a, uh, it speaks more volumes about him than what the rest of this offense might look like moving forward. I think. Yeah. Uh, and I think Malik Carr ha- can, you know, have, um, like tight ends probably have had more, uh, visibility in, in recent drafts from Michigan state than wide receivers have. And I think Malik Carr can be that guy, but he's not your typical big 10 tight end. You know, he's not, he's not your phenomenal blocker that, you know, can leak and catch a tight pass every once in a while. Um, he's kind of limited to being, uh, he's a converted wide receiver. He's not quite as thin as Corey Dykes is, you know, he looks like a tight end. Um, I think he was recruited at 220. So, uh, you know, a bigger guy from the start, but, um, he's, he has the prototypical size, but he's not going to be blocking for you very often. And so, um, so I think his, his Sunday upside is probably limited to due to the fact that he can't play in every system. Um, yeah. yeah he's more of a name that I, you know, due to his athletic uh, ability and his size is somebody that, you know, keep an eye on. Uh, given, especially given, you know, how difficult it is to project tight ends moving to the NFL there. But yeah, in terms of what we're going to see production wise from him, I, I don't know if it's going to be a lot. And then we'll see how the NFL draft uh, pans out for him when he does declare. But moving to the Minnesota uh, Golden Gophers here, they bring back Tanner Morgan for the 37th year. Um, I mean, he, he kind of is what he is at this point. You know, there was a little bit of draft buzz around him. Uh, and then he just never took a step forward here. Um, you know, what are your thoughts here on Tanner Morgan? Um, I like how in our show notes, you just said, ew. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, he is the epitome of the college only QB from a run first system. Like he is a game as game manager of, of quarterback as it comes. Um, it's easy when you're just turning around and handing it off to a running back so they can run behind someone like Daniel Fulele, um, every play, you know, <laughs> massive humans, like it's, it's the big 10 West for you, right? Um, you got massive human beings blocking on the offensive line and the quarterback just turns around and hands it off. Um, and you know, I, I think, d- don't get me wrong. I think Minnesota might, may actually, you know, is, uh, has good of a chance as anyone to win the big 10 West this year. Um, with especially with Mo Ibrahim back, but Tanner Morgan is not going to be the one that's the, he's not the engine. Uh, Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks have this saying when evaluating quarterbacks that come into the draft, they're either trucks or trailers. And um, yeah, uh, Tanner Morgan is the taillight of the trailer. Like he is not, <laughs> he's just a, along for the ride. Um. 
Yeah, I mean, at this point, like I said, we know what he is. Don't see much of an NFL future there. He's not going to put up a lot of production for you. I don't even have him ranked uh, amongst my like 110, 115 quarterbacks there uh, for C2C. So, yeah. yeah what's the history of uh, 60 year quarterbacks uh, succeeding in the NFL it's, <laughs> or even getting drafted? <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty low. Um, this is not the next Kenny Pickett here. Mm. Um, moving into the running back position, that's always kind of been the bread and butter here, at least the past couple of years for Minnesota. Uh, they had Mo Ibrahim coming off a monster year in 2020, uh, suffers a pretty nasty Achilles injury here. Um, do we think he can be the same player that he was and can he handle that same workload? Um, I think the workload might need to be a little bit lighter, but Mo Ibrahim was never a running back that was completely, uh, dependent on burst. He was a, I'm going to run you over type, like almost like another Minnesota running back, uh, rest in peace, uh, Marion Barber, right? Mm -hmm. He was always looking for contact, um, and just wanting to run people over it, especially for not being a very large guy. Uh, Mo Ibrahim is, you know, uh, he's good enough size, but he's not the type where you expect, he's not your Brandon Jacobs, six foot four, like 260 pound uh, running back. <laughs> um, he, he's, he's your, uh, like, he's, I think a little short for a running back if I remember correctly. Um, and so, you know, I, I think due to the way he runs, the Achilles injury shouldn't matter as much as it would for someone who is more of a shifty uh, seven cut running back. You know um, I think that, you know, it was weird that Minnesota really had the injury case with the running backs, unfortunately last year. And, uh, and so uh, Mo Ibrahim, I think will be fine. And I, I think he'll be fantasy relevant. Uh, I question his, you know, uh, NFL teams will be scared off by their, by the Achilles. Um what scares me is we still don't know what happened to Trey Potts. Um, he was hospitalized last year and we don't actually know what he was hospitalized for. Um, I did a lot of digging before the show. Cause I was curious. Cause you know, before it, I hadn't really thought about it, but seeing hospitalized for undisclosed reasons <laughs> makes me nervous. And yeah. so the combine will be as important for him during the process as anyone. Um, but, uh, you know, as long as he's a full go, I've, uh, the coaches seem to be uh, happy with him. And he's he's pretty much been on a full workload um, this offseason. So um, it'll be interesting to see where he how he does. Yeah, that that split is going to be interesting. Both of those guys coming off scary injuries, the Achilles. And then, like you said, with, with Trey Potts, we don't even know what that was necessarily. It hospitalized him. Uh, and then, you know, Kai, Tur- Kai Thomas and Marquis Bucky Irving transferring out uh, leaves a very interesting room there. You know, two guys coming off of injury. And then they have four-star incoming freshman Zach Evans. It sounds like maybe he's probably a little bit more towards the future of this room. Um, you know, I I don't know exactly what his workload is going to be there this year with Mo and, and Trey Potts there. But um, you know, obviously moving forward, the running back of them in Minnesota room is somebody that we're interested in. So do you, have you gotten a chance to check out Evans yet? Is he kind of the future of this room? Do you think? Um, just, I think by default he is, uh, by the way, it's not that Zach Evans. It's a new Zach Evans. Um, that confused me for a while there. Um, I, I don't have a full scattering report on Zach Evans. Uh, maybe you can help me out with that. 
Um, but yeah, I think by default he has to be. And, um, you know, his pedigree is obviously good enough that he's probably the heir apparent now. Yeah, I definitely think he's the heir apparent there. He's He does fit the mold of a Minnesota running back. He's a little bit more of the bruiser uh, than the athlete there. So I, I think this will be his room moving forward. He's somebody that I'm very interested in in C2C drafts, um, particularly with you – know, I, I think this is Mo Ibrahim's last year of eligibility. Trey Potts, I believe, has another year after this one. But again, anytime you're hospitalized, it's kind of a concern. Uh, moving into the wide receivers, you know, PJ Fleck has a history of productive wide receiver ones dating all the way back to his Western Michigan days with Corey Davis. Um, you know, then he had Tyler Johnson, uh, Rashad Bateman down year last year. And, and a lot of that, you know, kind of falls on Tanner Morgan. Um, but also, you know, Chris Ottman Bell was supposed to be the number one guy there. And do we think Ottman Bell can be as productive as a pj fleck wide receiver one normally is or is he just not quite as talented uh it's it's interesting right chris ottman bell i f- it feels like has been in college just just as long as tanner morgan has um <laughs> you know he was he was there with tyler johnson and rashad bateman and all these guys um he was always just the second fiddle the entire time and so can he be can he have wide receiver one production like i don't doubt that he can obviously tanner morgan is going to uh curb some of that enthusiasm for most people on Chris Ottman Bell. Um, he's been around a long time. And so chances are he is what he is. And um, that's not necessarily to say that he won't contribute. He's been fairly productive throughout his career. I, not wide receiver one level, but he, he's been reliable for them. So um, it'll be interesting. But, you know, it's a fairly poverty wide receiver room for Minnesota. Uh, they bring back into – they're basically their entire receiver core – uh from last year and yet it's not inspiring in any way right <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah. there's nobody here that outside of Ottman bell and the only reason really that i'm interested in Ottman bell is you know pj flex history of wide receiver ones outside of him there's not really anybody else in this room that i'm all that interested in um you know they bring in they have dylan Wright there who's a transfer from texas a&m you know they have um daniel jackson but I've none of these guys have really shown anything. Um, and, and this offense has really just been as the running back goes. So yeah, there's, there's not really anybody else in that room that I'm all that interested in. Yeah. Especially with a line that's probably not quite as good as past lines. It, it's hard. It's noticeable when you're six foot 10 right tackle leaves, um, I guess. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I, I mean, they're only returning what one starter on their offensive line. It's, it'll be a little bit of a different team. And uh, I mean, in terms of blockers, at least they, they keep uh, Brevin, Brevin span forward. um, Who's effectively a fullback at this point. He is, he's just going to move around and block wherever the, uh, wherever the (laughs) run plays going Um, from at least my film study. That's, that's all I saw from him is just going straight to the hole that (laughs) the running back was supposed to go through every time. So yeah, so not a lot of production there, but uh, he, he, you know, he'll be on the field a lot. And uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Hey, if, if you're in a league where you, where you have to start fullbacks, you know, I know there's a lot of crazy leagues out there. You know, he had some receiving production last year too. Yeah. Um, moving into Nebraska here. This is a, this is a team that's undergone some, some changes, some transfers. Um, you know, they bring in uh, Casey Thompson uh, after, you know, he was the starter at Texas 
had a decent year there, but then they bring in Quinn Ewers. So he sees the writing on the wall and gets out. Uh, they bring in Mark Whipple uh, as the OC uh, from Pitt. You know, last year he was credited with a lot of Kenny Pickett and, and Jordan Addison's, you know, explosion there, particularly Pickett. Uh, you know, do we think he can kind of Mark Whipple can kind of do the same thing for Thompson and, and, you know, turn this into a more functional offense than what we have seen in the past? Yeah, the, the big question here is, can Scott Frost finally, you know, get the monkey off his back and uh, claw his way out of the Big Ten West basement, you know? Uh, <laughs> uh, and, you know, Casey Thompson is interesting. Uh, not only did they bring in Casey Thompson, they brought his receiver with him too, right? Marcus Washington. And so, yep. uh, so you know, there's a little bit of uh, connection there. Um, I think that Whipple could have a positive effect on him. But I think Thompson's completion percentage, which was very high at uh, Texas, was actually inflated a little bit by the wide receiver talent that they had. Uh, and so um, it'll be interesting to see how that is because completion percentage largely has been considered a fairly stable stat um, as long as you're roughly in the same system. Um, and so knowing that stability of that statistic over time, it'd be interesting to see whether Whipple's the effect of Whipple's uh, system is going to be substantial enough that I doubt it can go higher than it already was. Right. And so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, I think, I think Thompson can make the throws. He's not, he's a better thrower than like someone like Sam Ellinger was in Texas. Uh, but maybe not quite as polished of a thrower as uh, you know, even someone like Mackenzie Milton was for Scott Frost back at UCF and stuff. So uh, I think it's a wait and see. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's there's enough to be hopeful about here, but again, it's definitely kind of a wait and see approach. Um, the running back a room is kind of just a mishmash of bodies there at this point. They do bring back um, Ramir Johnson. He had 500 yards last year. Anthony Grant made some noise in the spring. Um, Gabe Irvin was a guy that we were high on last year uh, at this site, uh, an incoming freshman. He looked good last year in some limited work before his injury. Haven't really heard too much about him since. Uh, is there anybody in this room that can separate themselves? Um, not in yardage, no. I think uh, actually the fantasy relevance of this group might be constrained by someone like Marquis Stepp, who might just touch down Vulture's way into maybe some relevance. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's the Big Ten. You know, you while these guys are all going to be, you know, fairly decent, like Ramir Johnson is, you know, the, one of those speedier one cut guys. So um, I would, you know, he, he has a decent skill set. Um, but, you know, I, I just see someone like Marquis step on, on that roster. And I'm like, Oh, well, I'm not going to get, <laughs> if I'm a running back, I'm not getting, I'm not getting touchdowns. So I'll get, I'll get credit for the yardage, but I won't get any touchdowns. I think. <laughs> yeah. I think this, this is like you said, this is just going to be a, a, a committee room. Nobody's really going to separate yardage wise. Um, so the, the highlight then will be potentially on the receivers. You already talked about Marcus Washington coming over from Texas following uh, Casey Thompson. They also bring in transfer uh, Trey Palmer um, from LSU. He seems set to lead the room from what we're hearing. Um, Jordan Addison, highly productive as the wide receiver one in a Whipple offense. You know, Obviously we're not expecting that kind of production, but you know, what are we, what are we projecting here from, or expecting here from Palmer? Uh, and then 
you know, does he have anything that makes you think maybe there could be an NFL future here? Yeah, I think that Palmer probably has some late round uh, draft capital in him. Um, he's not quite the route runner that Jordan Addison was, um, but he was, you know, LSU used him kind of similarly where they, they gave him a lot of scripted plays and stuff. Um, and so I, I think Palmer could show out. And if he really um, maintains that same role that uh, Jordan Addison did in, in this Whipple offense, um, then I think I think him and Marcus Washington make a great duo, and they 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 can really make some noise here if Casey Thompson can really uh, stay upright. Which Nebraska is returning three starters on their offensive line, so you know they're doing okay. And like that that receiving group is really going to take the attention because uh, frankly the the tight end group here is also a little bit sparse. Uh, you got Thomas Fedone and Travis Vokalek, which I've I, I having read you know local uh, Lincoln, um, <laughs> publications, uh, they consider Travis vocal, like the favorite there. Um, and, it, uh, having heard what read, what people are saying from the coaching staff, uh, like Fidone, Fidoni, Fidone, um, is not, is kind of bubble wrapped a little bit, um, where he, uh, the, the coaches are kind of considering him like going to think that he like assuming he's going to get injured during the season again. So, um, it's not a good look when the coaches have already given up on your injury history. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Fedone number two, tight end in class in the class of 2020, there was definitely some hope there, but back to back knee injuries in the spring, it sounds like maybe they should put him in, in bubble wrap and, you know, maybe it's time for us to, to think twice before we draft him at this point. Um, moving into Northwestern here, there's not, not a lot to talk about on this team. Uh, the QB room, we got Helsinki or Helinski. I mean, um, eh. uh, Evan Hall uh, was productive last year. Uh, was the bell cow at the running back position here? Seems likely like he's going to lead the room again. Um, nobody particularly have known in the wide receiver tight end position here. Is there anybody that you really wanted to highlight at all? Yeah. Well, so uh, this is breaking up the pattern that Northwestern is only good in even years. Um, that's kind of been, a, that's kind of been a trend for the past few years. Um, and so it's been funny, but, uh, now apparently it's, we're not doing that anymore, which is really a shame because Pat Fitzgerald is a good, is a good coach. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, I think Helinski is probably a better story than a QB. If you remember his, uh, his brother, um, you know, passed away. Mm-hmm. And so he, they, they created the, the foundation and stuff, which was, you know, a good story and all, but Helinski, it, he's not a good quarterback and yet he's the strength of this offense. It's um, I think the quick summary of that, um, the running back, uh, help me out on the pronunciation of that last, the freshman running back coming in. Um, Austin got me on this one a couple of times too. I said Hyman the first time it could be Hamon. I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, Hyman, Hamon, whatever the, the freshman running back coming in, um, he might have some role here as a receiving back towards the end of games when they're getting blown out. Um, where he might just get a lot of checkdowns and stuff when they're down 51 to nothing to, you know, to Iowa or something. <laughs> uh, so uh, I can see, I, I can actually see some, some potential for him. Uh, maybe not this year, but in the future, I, he might be able to carve out a good role for him, especially with that running uh, run catch versatility. Yeah. I think he's definitely an interesting name. Somebody to keep an eye on for sure. There's definitely some in the community who are, are pretty high on him, uh, but that's, really about all we got there on Northwestern that that would be interesting. Um, moving into a much more loaded team here, Ohio state. Uh, they have CJ Stroud, uh, potential Heisman candidate, potential QB one, uh, 
definitely going to be productive this year. You know, what are your thoughts here on, on CJ Stroud and his future? Yeah, so we finally get to the moneymaker t- team, right? This is the team where <laughs> where uh, fantasy teams are going to be made or won or lost, right? Um, yep. uh, CJ Stroud is um, is currently considered neck and neck with Bryce Young as, for the first overall pick next year, um, assuming that the first overall pick is going to take a quarterback, which, right. you know, we have been spoiled with quarterback and wide receiver talent recently in the NFL draft. And so this is, you know, we're continuing that trend and it's kind of crazy. Um, I think uh, CJ Stroud is going to be the first QB off the board. I think he's going to separate himself this year. Um, if nothing else, uh, during the draft process, teams will love that CJ Stroud is 6'3", and uh, Bryce Young is listed at five, six foot nothing, which means he's 5'10", right? So, <laughs> um, <laughs> And so uh, NFL teams will not like that, especially with you know, things like the Baker effect where Baker mm-hmm. was a shorter quarterback that some the Browns took a chance on. And uh, so they're going to be afraid of that a little bit. Um, I think CJ Stroud probably has a little bit of a better arm. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how Bryce Young performs without his receiving core, ridiculous receiving core. So um, <clears throat> I think CJ Stroud uh, cements himself as probably the Heisman winner and probably the first overall pick. Yeah, I mean, I, I would be fine with him winning the Heisman. I put a little bit of money on him um, early on because um, I, I agree with you. I think he's, you know, the production he's going to put up, I think Ohio State's going to be a great team this year. They're not going to want to see Bryce Young win it again. So he would be my favorite to win that. Um, the running back room is absolutely also loaded. Yeah, Travion Henderson. Uh, we know Travion Henderson is good. Uh, you saw it last year in, in his true freshman season. Uh, we're going to see it again this year. Is he first round NFL draft good? Um, maybe. <clears throat> and uh, that maybe is with the caveat is uh, if Bijan Robinson wasn't in this class, then the maybe is a little bit leaning more towards yes. Um, but I, I think uh, we are in a epic of the uh, NFL where we are not going to see first round running backs. Um even Kenneth Walker was drafted um, a little bit later than we expected, I guess, if this was, you know, 10 years ago, um, especially to the Seahawks of all teams, but yeah. that's a separate, that's neither here nor there. Um, I, I, I caution people for thinking that Travion Henderson is going to be similar to someone like Trey Sermon. They're very different players. Trey Sermon obviously is struggling to carve out a role in the NFL. Uh, Travion Henderson is a much better player than that, so that's not an apt comparison. Um, I think he's good enough to be drafted early day two, um, but it will – had Bijan Robinson and the like not been part of this class, we probably would have seen him closer to like fringe first-round consideration. Yeah, and, and Travion Henderson is will should be in the class of 2024. That'll be the first year he'll be eligible. So if if Bijan does oh. come out um, this year, now Bijan obviously could stick around in Texas. You know, we'll see how those checks cash. Um, but Travion should be 2024. Is that would that change anything for you there? Oh yeah, I get <laughs> Clearly, I haven't started my 2023 prep yet. And it's all um, good. 2024 is, is Travion, so I mean, you're that's way in the future there. That's for some DGen stuff. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think he might be good enough. I think the point is that he needs to maintain his speed. That, that was a big problem with uh, Trey Sermon as well, and um, and and we'll and we'll see. Like uh, NFL teams are probably souring a little bit on. Zeke because he he faded so much in terms of speed not that he was a speed back necessarily at Ohio State either Mm -hmm. um so if Travion Henderson can demonstrate that he is a 
he can maintain his explosiveness um, maybe long term, whether that's through other uh, other other metrics like you know his jumps and stuff. Then then for sure, I think he could get receive some consideration. But I don't think we're seeing NFL running backs get drafted in the first round anymore. Yeah, it's definitely rare. It's, it's few and far between. Um, you know, and then outside of Henderson. This room is still pretty talented. They got Mayan Williams, um, you know, one of Felix's at our sites, one of his favorite guys. Uh, Evan Pryor, who was the number one all-purpose back uh, in the class last year. I mean, I think he was uh, – or yeah, he was all-purpose. Um, he was very talented, great receiver. They have Dallin Hayden, a four-star from this 2022 class. Do we think they get much run at all, or is this really the Travion Henderson show and everybody else fighting for scraps? I think it really depends on how bad they're blowing out teams during the season. <laughs> um, I think you know any competitive game, obviously Travion Henderson is going to get the vast majority of the load. Um, but you know, it, it, obviously when they're up by a fair amount, I think we'll see other teams uh, when when that. Uh, margin becomes relevant is I think to be seen. Um, I, I think as it gets more solidified that this, this team is good enough. And um, the real question is whether the defense is good enough such that they can start subbing out players earlier. And so um, I, I guess it's, we'll see, but mm-hmm. um, I think that it'll be similar to like when Zeke was around, maybe where he was getting something like 85% of carries or something. It was something ridiculous like that. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we'll, we'll see Travion Henderson hit uh, maybe not 85% because that's, that's tough. I mean, it's hard to say, but he'll be hitting a lot like 80, 75%. It's going to be the Travion show Uh, moving into the, the position that Ohio State's become known for lately is, is the wide receiver room. I mean, they have uh, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, both first rounders this year, even cast off Jamison Williams went to Alabama. He's still a first rounder. Um, it seems like all they do is produce wide receivers. Is JSN the next first round wide receiver here for Ohio state? Well, JSN led the conference in receiving yards last year. Right. And so, uh, arguably, uh, and like in interviews, uh, both Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave said that JSN was better than them, um, <laughs> that he was the best receiver in the, which, you know, for these alpha receiver type guys, you know, that's, that's a pretty big deal to say. So, um, he is he is next he is hundred percent next in this line. Is he um, going to have the same NFL success? I, I'm not really sure necessarily about that. Um, he's not quite the route runner that Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave was. Granted, he's not going to blow over if the offensive linemen are huffing and puffing too hard like Chris Olave is. But um, he he has this <laughs> he has a weird. Uh, it, the only word I can find to describe his route running is waddling. Um, he has this little <laughs> bit of waddle to him when he runs his routes, um, which bothers me a little bit. And I'm sure some teams will be turned off by that, but no, he he's, he's uh, just another, the next in the line, long line of uh, Ohio state wide receivers that are coming out now and he'll be good. I think uh, what'll be interesting. obviously is the, seeing the receiving core around him, right? Uh, Marvin Harrison jr. Yes. That Marvin Harrison, um, <laughs> they are not the same player, father and son. Um, Marvin Harrison Jr. I think is listed at six three. Uh, Marvin Harrison was six foot, which means he was five ten. Um, <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so these are not the same player. Um, <clears throat> Marvin Harrison is a little bit more of a physical guy. 
Um, and so it'll be interesting to see him. Uh, Julian Fleming was that was the top one of the top receiver prospects in his year. And so we'll probably he probably has gets the first lick at uh, rounding out that receiving starting receiving core. But uh, um, Mecca Buka is um, probably going to take over pretty soon. Um, yeah, and then yeah, absolutely yeah. like the just five star after five star after five star. You know, Buka five star Fleming five star this year they bring in four star Keon Grays four star Caleb Burton four star Caleb Brown four star Kojo Antwi uh 2023 they bring in five star Brandon Ennis five star Carnell Tate four star and number nine wide receiver Noah Rogers I mean the future of this room is obviously looking very bright and three of those guys not even on campus yet um you know, I, you brought up a great point here on uh, on the show sheet. You know, where's Brian Hartline's next job? <laughs> yeah, I mean, twenty twenty two must have been a light year because they didn't get any five stars, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I'm interested to see where Brian Hartline's next job is. And some people might argue that his he's going to stick around because I he's you know he has received legendary status at Ohio state. And so what reason is there to leave? It's not like he's going to get paid more. I think he probably will leave because someone will offer him an offense coordinator or I mean a head coaching job now. And so like he'll, he'll get somewhere so, sometime. I don't know when, if it's going to be now or, you know, next five years or something. Um, it'll be interesting. Uh, I think, you know, maybe selfishly, I want to see him in the Mac just to run those offenses, but uh, that would be you know, insane. It, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, you know, tight end room, Jeremy Ruckert gone, a guy you, know, you talked about a little bit earlier, he got some draft capital there, but this is an absolutely loaded wide receiver room. Is there any production left on the bone here for a tight end? And, you know, off of that, is there anybody in this room that you see that could potentially have an NFL future? Um, some folks argued that Cade Stover was a better and a Sunday prospect than Jeremy record was, uh, largely because Jeremy record was almost drafted solely on traits with, uh, practically no real production in college. I mean, he, he put up some numbers, but he was not the receiving threat. And I think, you know, if it was up to me, I would run, uh, you know, what is that? 10 personnel out there every, every play, you know, cause why not? You have a better offensive line than them. Just yep. stuff it down their throat with Travion Henderson. And then just you're, you're spreading them out. So they can't stop it anyway. Um, but uh, you know, I, I think we can see Ohio state Titans always somehow get drafted. It's regardless of whether they're good or not, they always get drafted. So we'll probably see at least one of these guys, Kate Stover, Joe Royer, uh, G, G Scott, like one of them will get drafted, but uh, it's not looking likely that they're going to be big producers <laughs> anytime soon. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. And there's, you know, D Scott converted tight end or wide receiver to a tight end, potentially interesting just because I tend to gravitate towards those guys as long as they can get up to the right size. He has yet to get up there. We'll see how that one shakes out. Um, moving into my team here, Penn State. Uh, Sean Clifford back for yet another year. Um, he was solid, unspectacular last year until the injury in the Iowa game. Uh, and then, you know, they rushed him back to the Illinois game. And everybody remembers that eight overtime debacle. Uh, can Sean Clifford be good enough to keep Penn State relevant this year? 
Um, I feel like that's a question I should be asking you here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I've obviously seen Trace McSorley because I, or not Trace McSorley, Sean Clifford, uh, who I've compared to Trace McSorley in certain ways. I think Sean Clifford's probably a little bit better passer and Trace McSorley was a, bit, a little bit better rusher. Um, but, wh- but why don't you tell me, tell me, is, <laughs> is Sean Clifford the answer here? Uh, (laughs) Definitely not the answer. And given how loaded Ohio state is this year, um, this is their division. I think, Uh, you know, Penn state could finish second tops. Uh, I think they're more likely to be like a third, like an eight and four type of a team, Um, you know, and no NFL hope here either for him. He's not going to be the next Kenny Pickett. Sorry, but this is, this is going to be Drew Aller's room. um, I think. You know, five-star guy, number four quarterback in the class of 2022. I think he's the future of this room. The big question I have is, you know, can he put Penn State over the top? Because we've seen time and time again nowadays that, you know, you, you outside of Georgia last year and, and you know, Stetson Bennett, you know, all due respect to him, not a stud at the quarterback position. Outside of that, you typically have to have a good, a, a very good quarterback to be, you know, to, in national title contentions. My question is, you know, can, can Drew Aller get Penn State to that point? Yeah, I mean, Stetson Bennett, you know, having the all-time best defense in college football history <laughs> probably helped him a little bit. Um, but, yeah, I I think we're also learning, like coaching staffs are learning here, that bringing back quarterbacks before they're ready isn't going to endear them to fan bases. I think the same thing happened with Baker Mayfield, where they thought that bringing these guys back would – uh, would earn them some goodwill with their fan bases. And that's just not how that works anymore. Fan bases want healthy players. Um, and, and even if it means that their hurt starter is going to sit, it's not the rub your rub some dirt on and get back out there type uh, era anymore. And I think coaching staffs are going to have to adjust to that. Um, but yeah, tell, tell me about uh, Nick Singleton. Um, I, I had a very specific comp uh, that I wrote on this on the show sheet um, that I just noticed from running sound being a Cowboys fan. But um, what's what's the scouting report on Nick Singleton? I'm, uh, I'm, I'm very interested in, in your thoughts here on the on the name um, that you put down. But yeah, I mean, Nick Singleton, five star, number one RB in the class of 2022. I think my biggest concern with Singleton is, you know, one, the level of competition he was playing against. Um, you know, I'm in, I live in central PA. He went to governor Mifflin, uh, which is a, you know, in this the highest classification in PA here. So it's solid um, competition, but the level of athletes is not that high. You know, the, typically the people that come out of this area are, you know, the guys like Nolan Rucci, who go, you know, went to um, Wisconsin as a five-star offensive lineman, you know, Micah Parsons, a linebacker, you know, more along those types of guys. So I'll be interested to see how his athleticism translates. I do think it will, um, especially because we've clocked him at, I believe, 22 miles per hour on, on some of his runs. Um, so he's moving. Um, you know, he was used as a receiver here in the spring, which was another concern that I had with him. So it's good to see that box checked as well. Um, I don't know if we'll see the days of Barkley, but I think he can be a prospect in between the levels of Barkley and Sanders. That's fair. As someone who got to see uh, Saquon Barkley run the 40 live at the combine, um, that was, that was really an interesting time. Um, I compared uh, Nick Singleton to Tashard choice, which isn't to say that that's a ceiling by any means. I think he can be better than that, obviously. But, uh, there's something about Nick Singleton's upright running style that reminded me of Tashard Choice because I obviously got to see it firsthand when 
you know, he took down uh, the Steelers, you know, in that one game where both Marion Barber and uh, and Felix Jones were hurt. Um, and there's this certain physicality that they're not necessarily power backs. They're not your Brandon Jacobs type bowling balls uh, coming straight down the middle. Uh, but there's this violence that they that they hit people with and the contact balance that both of them played with, at least in college to shard choice, obviously at Georgia tech. Um, it, it was, it was, it was striking. Cause I, I had seen a lot of him obviously, cause I remember when the Cowboys drafted him in the fifth round. Uh, but I, as soon as I saw that Nick Singleton tape, that was just the first name that popped in my mind. Cause they, they both run a little bit upright, which is okay. And that you in today's NFL doesn't really matter that much, but the fact that, you know, his contact balance is so good despite running upright is, is really impressive. And he's just violent. People bounce off of him when he hits them and it was really impressive. And so, um, I think, I think that's really, uh, that was really good. But, uh, tell me, tell me about these other two running backs in the room, Allen and Lee. Yeah. I mean, Kevon Lee at this point, I think, you know, we know what he is. Um, he is just kind of a, a grinder, you know, he'll get you three yards in a cloud of dust. There's not really a lot there that makes you feel good about him leading your room or an NFL future, he'll probably get the first crack at it. Just being a, a the the senior guy in the room uh, and bringing in two freshmen uh, into that in Allen and Singleton, but I don't think it's long before he gets overshadowed. Uh, and I think Katron Allen is more likely to take that Kevon Lee role. Uh, he received pra- staff a um, praise from the staff this spring. You know, a four-star guy from IMG Academy. He's a little bit more of a, a power guy. He's not really all that shifty. Not great with the long speed, but it's solid. I think that Allen and Singleton can really form a nice duo there. Uh, the problem is just going to be kind of getting Lee out of the way. You know, how early does that take place? Would be the big question. Are there any concerns for keeping Allen around if Singleton gets the majority of the carries at all? Yeah, I mean, in today's age with the transfer portal, you never know who's going to leave. And I think he's talented enough that he could get an offer for somewhere else and he could go there and be the starter if that's what he wants. Um, now, uh, the running back coach for Penn State, Juwan Sider, has a good uh, rapport with IMG. You know, they frequently go into IMG and bring out running backs. They brought out Noah Kane last year. Uh, they bring out, you know, other positions from IMG. So, that could help them in keeping Allen around, but really would not surprise me if if Singleton, especially if Singleton starts to really take over the backfield, if Allen potentially transfers out, as, as sad as that would be for me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's a fair point. Uh, someone like Blake Corum, too, uh, one would expect uh, him to have gone to uh, Maryland because he's from Baltimore. He went to St. Francis mm-hmm. Academy. But uh, Biff Pogi has been funneling all his cr- recruits <laughs> over to Michigan for years now, so, uh, <laughs> so, so I get the assistant coach thing. Well, I mean, I guess he's a head coach over there, but the mm-hmm. coaching coaching relationships are so important, I guess, in recruiting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, moving into the wide receiver room here, uh, Sean uh, Jahan Dotson, uh, first round draft pick, he's gone. Uh, that kind of surprised me that he went in the first round. I like Dotson. I thought maybe a little bit more in the second round, but first round guy. Um, Parker Washington sounds like he's going to be the next man up here. They did bring in Mitchell Tinsley from Western Kentucky. Uh, they do have Keandre Lambert Smith there. I think he's more of a complimentary piece. Um, 
But what are your thoughts here on, on you know, Washington and, and the rest of that wide receiver room? Yeah, so Parker Washington is like your uh, typical uh, James Washington, Amari Rogers, Jalen Rager type build of a player. Definitely like a little top heavy and like built like people call it built like a running back, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's interesting. He's not the same slot type that just Jahan Dotson was, but he's also he but he's going to play in the slot, right? Um, as I understand it, and so. Um, uh, you know, he needs to show, I think, that he has a little bit of inside-outside versatility because I think so far he's mostly had his production from the slot. But the NFL is going to want to see him play on the outside just because of the way he's built. Um, Mitchell Tinsley, I I think he's a really good player. I don't know what his uh, Sunday potential is, obviously, because he played in a that ridiculous uh, system where Bailey Zappi was throwing for a mile. Um, <laughs> uh, but... Uh, you know, obviously he's, he's not overly fast, uh, but he does have a little bit of suddenness to him that if he develops his route running a little bit, I think he can get drafted. Um, and he's, and he's really great at the catch point. Like he's not a huge guy. I think he's like six one or maybe, um, but, but he, he, he really gets the ball. Like it's, it's a, my ball mentality that he has. And I, I think, I think that'll translate for sure. Yeah. I'm glad you said that too. Cause that's kind of what I've been, been saying a lot this off season is, you know, Mitchell Tinsley has a decent chance to lead this team in touchdown catches, you know, probably not going to lead the team in yards, probably not going to lead them in receptions, but the tight end room there, you know, they have Theo Johnson, four-star guy, number three tight end in the 2020 class. They have Brenton strange, uh, Tyler Warren also in the mix there, but none of those guys have ever really stepped up. Like you kind of hope them, uh, hope they would. So I think Mitchell Tinsley can be that red zone presence that they're looking for, despite not being the biggest guy out there. Um, and then Parker Washington absolutely agree with needing to see the inside outside versatility. I'm hoping he can be, you know, in the mold of a Chris Godwin, uh, where he can do the inside outside instead of just strictly a, a slot guy. Um, that'll be the big question for him this ceiling or this season. Yeah, for sure. I think the the thing with Theo Johnson is in order to buy playing time, he needs to, he needs to really work on his blocking. I think is Mm -hmm. really what it comes down to. Um, because especially with someone like, uh, Nick Singleton coming through, like you can't just, you can't just half-ass it. You got, you really got it. You got really got to be hitting someone out there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then, you know, uh, we talked about the five-star quarterback they brought in the five-star running back. They brought in, they bring in a couple four stars at the wide receiver position and Caden Saunders, the number seven wide receiver by the composite, uh, Anthony Ivy, four-star guy, uh, from a high school that's about 15, 20 minutes away from where I'm at. Um, Omari Evans, three-star guy here, you know, you, you put on the sheet here, the unit lacks size, and these are a lot of mighty mites here. Um, are there anybody here that, that really stands out to you? Um, no, I mean, they're both, they're both, sl- they're all kind of slot guys. Um, you know, oh, sorry. I'm, I'm going to, going to totally jump to a different subject real quick. Right, Kyle Pitts is from your area. No. Yeah, not far, not yeah, far. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Kyle Pitts he's is out. from that same same. Yeah, okay. Yep. That's, a, that's yeah, he's out towards right Philly. Yeah, um, sorry, that that, <laughs> that crossed my mind. I remember clips of uh, Micah Parsons and uh, playing running back against Kyle Pitts at linebacker. Yeah, um, yep. in high school. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um, no, but uh, these guys are all kind of slotty guys. Um, it's just like there's just lacking size. Um, Keaton Saunders is pretty smooth. Like, obviously, a good recruit. Um, just like one of those guys where it looks effortless um, mm. and he's not like obviously as effortless as, uh, as um, 
the Michigan State wide receiver, but like he he has this like smoothness about him and he quickly accelerates and um it's it's he's a good prospect, but he's not going to be playing above the rim at all. And no. um and uh and Ivy is a little bit similar. He's he's like a slower Jahan Dotson that might be have a little more uh tackle breaking ability, but yeah, he I mean, I think he's still a slot. He has slot size, in my opinion. And so um, it'll be interesting to see which of these guys can develop some outside versatility. Granted, uh, this, the scheme is good enough at Penn State, right, where – uh, maybe not the game management, but the speed is <laughs> the scheme is good enough that you know, uh, you know, Jahan Dotson torched Maryland for what three touchdowns and like two of them were when linebackers were covering him or something. It was ridiculous. Anyway, <laughs> I'm still upset about it, but yeah. <laughs> hey, you're upset about that. I'm upset about Rakeem Jarrett torching us on three times yeah. in the same play. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. It'll be interesting to see who how that room shakes out because they are all very similar. Um, we'll move into Purdue here. We got three teams left. Um, Purdue brings back Aiden O'Connell, who was battling some injuries early in his career. Very nice season last season. We're expecting a lot of CFF production this year for him. Again, it'll be the final year of his eligibility. Are, are there any draft hopes for Aiden O'Connell? Um, I, when I see Aiden O'Connell, I see Chase Daniel. Um, and maybe, maybe that's a little bit, uh, I think Chase Daniel is probably a little bit bigger than Aiden O'Connell, but, uh, yeah, I see Chase Daniel, uh, who, by the way, has the highest career earnings per snap played in NFL history. I believe that. Um, that man, yeah. <laughs> some financial wizardry went on there. Yeah, has cashed in on being a career backup. <laughs> and I think Aiden O'Connell can be a, a career backup. Aiden O'Connell uh, is up there in the same conversation in terms of production as uh, Talia and CJ Stroud. So, you know, he has some production out there. Um, I don't think he has the tools to make it on Sundays, but he'll be a backup. Um and uh yeah yeah and i mean that's going to be the the large portion of this offense uh the running back in this offense doesn't ever really have a ton of production here uh they have king daru coming back um that samson james is there as well but they bring in transfer kobe lewis from central michigan um very intriguing option there you know we were kind of hoping he would leave so that way it frees up some lou nichols work uh, so Lou Nichols can do what he did at the end of last year, but coming in to Purdue, do we think Kobe Lewis has a shot to lead this backfield? I, I think he has to. Uh, King Daru looked lackluster. He looked average against behind uh, a line that wasn't, you know, one of the best in the conference, but was not the weak part of that offense. Um, you know, especially when this was a system that like was based on, you know, quit. they were running a fair number of plays. I remember watching David Bell's tape for in draft prep last year. I don't think I, against Wisconsin, I think I saw him run anything but a slant. I think he ran a slant every single play that game. Um, so, uh, you know, but anyway, the point is King, King Daru offers probably nothing. Samson James also had almost no production at uh, Nebraska. Was that right? Um, it was a Big Ten school. Yeah. Indiana, maybe? Indiana maybe yeah, yeah. He, he, anyway he was basically <laughs> they didn't miss him whoever yeah. whoever let him go um and so Kobe Lewis almost by default is that uh we'll we'll see whether his uh two seasons ago he had a thousand yard season last year was a little bit less than that so maybe that 1000 yard season was a fluke I guess we'll see uh but this this line probably isn't helping 
probably not hurting, but probably not helping that case either. Yeah, and and then obviously the another big draw here in the um, Jeff Brom offense is the wide receivers. You know, we saw Rondale Moore have a big year, David Bell, uh, a lot of production there. Milton Wright actually ruled uh, academically ineligible for this year. Um, who are we thinking the next man up is? I mean, the two big names we're looking at is Tyrone Tracy, Brock Thompson. Anything stand out about either of those two guys for you? Or is there another guy you think maybe could stand out? Um, so I, I think that the tight end is probably a bigger, bigger role in this offense than the wide receivers. Uh, obviously with Aiden O'Connell just throwing it everywhere, it's really hard to guess who's going to be the, you know, the top dog in this receiving core. But I think this uh, system really um, favors like the intermediate uh, the intermediate routes and stuff, which is really um, for a guy that maybe, ha- maybe has some Sunday potential, probably will stick, will stick on a roster somewhere, but Payne Durham, I think um, might see some, might see an uptick in production because the wide receiver room is kind of murky. And frankly, uh, I don't think it's their performance as, as important to the offense as past guys like Rondell Moore and David Bell were, where they were all opposite types of receivers and yet they were still productive in this so I think it's flexible enough that they'll just highlight the, their best players. And I think Payne Durham might be, might be their best receiver. I love that. I mean, I think Payne Durham is uh, a guy who's criminally underrated right now in C2C drafts and CFF drafts. I mean, he's a guy that I've been targeting in a lot of places and I know Austin has as well. Um, so I know we're both hoping that he can really have a bigger role with the uncertainty of wide receiver here. So that's the hope there. Um, moving into Rutgers, <laughs> um, not a lot here that uh, that we're, we're inspired by. I think the only guy that is intriguing here is Gavin Wimsat, four-star from last year's class, uh, actually reclassified to join them last year. He struggled pretty mightily in limited work here. I don't see much of an NFL future in the limited work that we've seen so far. Now, obviously, he's young, so he can take some steps forward. I think he's more of a fantasy option with his dual threat ability here. Um, you know, are, are you, are you kind of in agreement on that one? And then, you know, do we think he can maybe help turn Rutgers around at all? Um, yeah. I mean, I think Gavin Wimsott's hopes of the NFL is probably coming from position change once he gets there. Um, not likely quarterback, but that's okay. I mean, very few quarterbacks in the NFL are starting, right? So, yep. um, I think it's funnier that uh, only Greg Sean is allowed to have success at Rutgers. No other coach is allowed to have success. Uh, other coaches have tried and failed, but every time Greg Sean comes back and, and, you know, um, and bails them out. So um, yeah, I, I, I think this is a poverty roster uh, as a Maryland fan. I'm glad we get that free win on the right <laughs> on the schedule. Yep. Um, but yeah, I, I, I struggle. It, I mean, Bo Melton and Isaac Pacheco, got onto rosters so it's not impossible but they don't have anyone of that recruiting pedigree on their team let alone anyone that has those athletic tools um so with no pedigree and no tools it's just kind of you're you're working with an empty shed i think yeah yeah absolutely i I don't see a lot here on the Rutgers team at this point that inspires some hope in fantasy or nfl at least at the skill positions there um, so we can move on into the last team here. We have Wisconsin. Um, Graham Mertz famously called the uh, Pecorino Peyton Manning by Felix Sharp on the Debbie debate. Um, he said he saw a lot of Peyton Manning in, in, in Mertz's game. Highly regarded recruit. 
just really failed to live up to the hype last year. Um, you know, he almost at times hamstrung this team. Can he keep the Badgers in Big Ten title contention, um, not just the Weston, t- actual title contention, and maybe rehab some of that perception this year? I think because they play in the West, uh, Graham Mertz can maybe get out of the way of the rest of the team. Um, I am a Graham Mertz denier. I think that he might be the worst, one of the one of the worst uh, bottom three starting quarterbacks in the conference. Um, I I just don't see it. Uh, there, <laughs> like he has worse tools than like uh, someone like. He reminds me of Tim Tebow, frankly, sometimes like the way he throws it. Yeah. I mean, it might be a, might be a, you know, a, a little bit flagrant, a foul, a flagrant foul on my end, but I, I, Graham Mertz just, he, I don't see the arm strength in him. He does not have Sunday arm strength. He doesn't have Sunday processing skills and uh, he's not able to run nearly well enough to, you know, for some team to take a chance on his athleticism. So I, I, I just don't see it. Um, I yeah. think the running backs are are the bright spot here, and I think that's rightfully so. We talk about only the running backs here. Yeah, and and in fairness to Felix too, he said that in like I think it was like 2020. Um, okay. So yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he has since. Uh, you know, as we saw, Graham Mertz actually start uh, probably would agree with you, us more on that front. Uh, yeah. But moving into the running backs, there it's, it's sounds like it's going to be the Braylon Allen show this year. He started a little bit slow. Uh, famously, he was a 17-year-old last year. He also reclassified. Um, but down the stretch, uh, he really got going um, a hun- over 100 yards in seven of the last eight games. Minnesota was really the only dud there. Uh, a lot of people are thinking maybe he's like the next Derrick Henry, just given his size speed. Um, I think he's definitely going to be the next great Wisconsin running back here. What are your thoughts on uh, Braylon Allen? I, I like Braylon Allen as well. I think comparing Eddie running back to Derrick Henry is a little right. bit, yeah, that's a little bit out there. Um, I obviously, you know, I'm, I think the bigger running back fits really well in the system. Obviously there's a long history of very good Wisconsin running backs in the league. Um, maybe not all of them pin out in the league, but there are a lot of history of, you know, Wisconsin running backs breaking the record for most rushing units in a season. And so uh, Braylon Allen very well could be, I think, uh, there could be a little bit of a split though. Ches Lucy showed out when he, ha- when he got opportunities last year. And so um, I, I thought, I thought it was really impressive. And so I think the staff might give him some opportunities as well. And so I think there are, there's a little bit of a split going on, but probably not anywhere close to like, probably not even close to 60, 40, but um, I, I'd look for Ches Lucy uh, at least in, in terms of Sunday uh, potential. Um, I don't know if uh, Braylon Allen alone is going to see that much because uh, <clears throat> I think NFL teams are looking looking for a minimum speed threshold um, out there. So, um, but you know, obviously the size is going to play in certain situations. So. Yeah, absolutely, and I love the the Ches Malusi call there. I mean, even in the days where there was a dominant one back system there. They still had some other guys, you know, the James Whites, the Dara Ugumbawales. So there's definitely some room for for Chesmalusi to put up some production and then get drafted just by virtue of being at Wisconsin, I think can help. Um but okay. and moving into sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Well, I was just moving into the wide receiver room here. Um and even into the tight end room. You know, Jake Jake Ferguson was really the only receiver that we liked last year, uh, you know, at the tight end position. 
doesn't really say a lot about that wide receiver room. Is there anybody here that catches a ball that we're, that we're worried about? Let me let me ask you. When's the what's the, who's the last Wisconsin receiver you remember getting drafted? Did Quintez Cephas get drafted? Uh, I do actually. That's that's fair. Or I do believe he, he was like a seventh rounder. Yeah, it was it was late. Um, if he it's did, because he ran like a four seven two or something at the <laughs> yeah. combine. It was it was ridiculous. Yeah. But okay, before Quintez Cephas, do we I remember a Wisconsin? I I can't remember it, and no. I. I'm, I pride myself in remembering, you know, almost everyone who got drafted and I got nothing. Um, and I think that's kind of, you know, ever since, you know, Brett Bielma was here a long time ago. Um, and to now, I, I think receivers don't matter. And I don't think that receivers care to come here. Uh, I remember uh, for a minute, uh, Wisconsin was on Caleb Williams's list, right? Yeah. Uh, for the transferring, everyone was saying, why? <laughs> That's doing? the most questionable thing. Um, not that he wouldn't be an upgrade over Graham Mertz, but who are you throwing to? Like, you know, we say that uh, quarterbacks go to Georgia or to Michigan to die because, you know, they don't, they lose all their draft status. Uh, well, <laughs> that's because quarterbacks don't even bother go, looking at Wisconsin. Um, yep. And so um, with Jake Ferguson gone, yeah, like we can look at their tight ends. They'll probably produce a tight end, probably, because they always have a tight end in the pipeline that's coming out. That'll be a late later round draft pick, uh, fringe day two, probably day three um, guy. And so maybe Jack Eschenbach can be that. Probably not at this point. Um but we do know that they'll have some linemen drafted. So yep. that's the bright spot here. <laughs> yep. Linemen and running backs. Um, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, that's, that's going to do it here for the big 10 preview. Um, man. I mean, I, I, this was just such a great show. Thank you so much for coming on. I, I really yeah, appreciate that. Me. I mean, this is getting you behind a mic, man. Like you just, you know, your stuff and you can tell, and it's, it's awesome. Um, we got to get you on again sometime soon here. Um we got the CFF guide on sale at the site, uh, $20 there. Um, that is still, you know, we're, we're still coming up on CFF redraft season. That is a, an absolute must if, if you're drafting for CFF here. 131 teams uh, breakdowns. We got over 100 players uh, ranked in there. We got freshmen, impact freshmen, um, just chock full of information. Uh, we got also announced a new DFS team uh, at uh, Campus Canton. We got Chris K of the Burning the Red Shirt podcast, which is a CFF podcast for anybody who may not be familiar with that. Uh, and then we also bring on Ethan Sowers uh, from Fantasy Cruncher. He's a fellow Penn State fan and a former Central PA guy with me. Um, he has defected, but uh, you know that we'll, we'll forgive him on that one. But check out the uh, the work that'll be coming from the DFS team. We're really excited about that. Uh, we got the RB Ranking Summit live. Uh, at 8.30 Eastern time on Thursday, there will be some giveaways with that. Gave some stuff away uh, last week. Um, Austin is still on vacation uh, somewhere in the Mediterranean. We'll be joined by another guest on Thursday to be announced. Uh, but, Barnabas, again, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, tell the people you know where they can find you and, and anything that you're working on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, I had a really good time, and hopefully Austin can say hi to Dan Snyder for us. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, you can you can find me on Twitter at uh, pkjblee, and uh, I will from time to time post on Campus to Canton, um, probably closer to draft season. Um, but yeah, um, that's where you see me, and hopefully I can get behind a mic in other ways as well here.
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're, we're, you know, got our Saturday shows coming up there and you definitely excited to have you on that there. Um, thank you again uh, for joining us. Uh, until next time, this is Colin. This is Barnabas. <laughs> have a good one.